It's Zach Linkley Chichi. I'm so popular. I'm back from Okinawa. It's a new year. If you missed the Sirens trilogy of my time there, you're missing out. Uh, as well as a, a great conversation I just had with my two fabulous guests today. Uh, we'll be discussing the career of Charlie XCX and Ano Hideaki's Love and Pop, plus his phenomenal Cutie Honey adaptation. And as I said, I'm joined by two fabulous young men here. Who are you? The agitator boys in the house. <laughs> hey guys. <laughs> Hi. How's it going? It's great. What are you doing? I just got back from a uh, Japanese restaurant, kind of keeping with the the theme. I made my eight months pregnant wife dress up like a schoolgirl, and uh, and then I called her on the phone and said that I, I'm I'm a socially awkward middle aged man, and I need uh, I just need you to go to the video store with me, and. Uh, <laughs> And then we had a nice, lovely. Uh, <laughs> no, we 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 went out. We dropped the kid with his uh, with Erica's dad, and went out for our our last little date night before this this next kid drops. Fabulous! That sounds like a night made in heaven. What about you, Dave? Uh, what am I doing? Like, mm-hmm. what, what did I do? Oh, what did I do today? Um, I well. My mom came over and my mother-in-law came over. So they were fighting over taking care of my son. And you would think that, you know, you could get work done, but you really can't because it's it's too noisy. But uh, I've just been editing. I've been editing, a, you know, a horror Western book that is, uh, you know, well, I mean, if people need editing, then there's there's going to be some issues, but it's fun and uh what else i'm reading a lot of uh manga right now so i was reading uh, uh biomega uh which is the the guy who made blam mm-hmm. this uh this other one that's really cool it's like a cyberpunk thing and uh, i've been reading gants or gaunts i don't know how you pronounce oh that, you're reading gaunts is that how you pronounce it thank you yeah it's uh i love it the thing i love the most is at the end of the first volume there's a making of and so i guess he used a bunch of i mean all mangakas use like uh assistants right but he used a computer like a lot of computer generated stuff and i love at the end he's like so this doesn't look great now but hopefully it'll get better and i was like that's fucking funny that you get to the end of it and he's like look i know some of this shit looks fucking weird but i thought it was i'm i'm in i'm into the whole pervy aspect of that book so yeah gaunts gets procedurally more and more strange with each volume until it has like um that particular mangaka has a fetish for mass shootings in all of his um all of his series if they're not just like straight up porn manga like devolve into like uh mass mass shooting like schlop and glock and there's um a really great like three volume run of gaunts about um one uh shooter who does blackface to shoot up all of a shibuya in like the 16th volume or something and it gets just out of control you're gonna love it i'm a big fan myself no i I love that already i think that's i love the idea of having a mass shooting fetish i mean he must love what goes on in america oh he definitely does he did um every day that's 
fucking awesome. <laughs> you got to read um read or watch uh, Inuyashiki, which is also by the same guy and um okay. th- that takes his his shooting fetish up to another layer where uh people can invisibly summon uh bullets by pointing their fingers in a gun shape and saying bang. And uh, he learns how to shoot through screens, and it's just uh, him massacring about 4,000 people in Shinjuku and Shibuya uh, through their screens going bang, 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 through uh, literally 4chan. <laughs> I love that. That's so yeah. cool. I would love so that cool. you're reading him. <laughs> That's what I love about manga and anime, or anime whatever, in general, is uh, I like that it seems like these these dudes, I mostly have just read dudes, in fact, I think I've only exclusively read dudes, but you just have an idea and you go with it. And it feels, I mean, I'm not really hip on how, I know that there's, you know, Shonen Jump and these different stories have to work and they have to, you know, get picked up or whatever, but it really does just seem like, you know, Chainsaw Man, it's the dude who's got a bunch of chainsaws on him. I love that idea of, I have this retarded idea, but I'm going to I'm going to do it. Oh, I'm yeah. I can do it. I mean, you think about stuff like Elf and Lead, which is patently horrible, but, like, the manga is so wild because it's just this man who's like, what if girls with pink hair and horns had invisible arms that they can vibrate really quickly and then they can just chop people to pieces and then also piss themselves and, like, have a diaper fetish? It's like, I... It is a, truly a, a frontier that remains completely unblemished by any parameters and rulemaking of the typical media machine. So manga and anime can be uh, special in that sense. So I'm glad <laughs> you can recognize it. Yeah, it's been so liberating. I'm only really inspired by that in video games now. I, I don't like books anymore. I'm anti-book. There hasn't really... Well, I like some uh, older books. Like I've been reading this book called Soul Mountain. That's pretty good. Uh, and also the Chronicles of Tao, which I'm going to do an episode eventually with the rare candy dudes on that one. It's about like a crazy Taoist, you know, Kung Fu master. I think those books are pretty cool, but I mean, the literary landscape is just completely empty. There's nothing going on, nothing interesting. And it's all been taken over by, uh, you know, rich, liberal, white women. So every book kind of has to conform to, like, it has to tick boxes. And so it's just really creatively dead. But manga's still fucking tight. It's it's all just stupid ideas like that. that but it really is funny because, you know, you're talking about, like, well, what if girls had pink hair and their arms go fast and they piss themselves and there's diapers? Because, like, I read that and I'm like, I mean, yeah, what if? Like, why if? Exactly. <laughs> 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 That's truly unlimited creativity. Um, I have to ask you my my third customary question, which is, why do you follow me? When did we hop on the Chi Chi train? Was it about <laughs> the same time? They had to. I mean, we do. We we follow the same trends together. We have a little chat. We do everything we together. Cool. Yeah, we piss together. We. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm surprised uh, he's not having a second kid right now. Yeah, to co- to copy you just because yeah. I like to copy you. you no, I think it was me. it was almost certainly a perfume nationalist episode, and then I fell in love when I saw how angry people get at you. I, I felt a kindred spirit with that because I just got done making a lot of people in the New York publishing world mad 
my wife tells me that it's it might be like my face or the way that I say things, but people really like Kelby will say things that are ten times worse than what I say, but everybody gets mad at me instead. And I just I felt a kindred spirit, I think, in in your ability to say things like Catholicism is bad and completely <laughs> destroy the lives of people for, for weeks on end. And who just who just think that you're like some kind of fucking you know, tranny demon or something. It's it's appealing. I do love my um my stroke for contrarianism that manages to so effectively piss people off. I mean, it's like I've been doing the same thing, honestly. Like my show was a li- maybe a little bit more wholesome when it started, but um my opinions haven't really changed much about a lot of things. So it's like I don't I guess it is just um that unique character quality that can piss people off, but I'm only interested in inflammatory people anyway. So I think I, I completely relate to you both on that level. Um I have to say, you two uh starting the Agitator podcast is one hundred percent one of the most exciting developments in the podcasting circuit. Uh it started as a uh, sort of uh exploration of the films of Mike Takashi and has now uh, expanded into a brain-melting cerebral survey of Japanese media, and uh, I was very privileged to join you to speak about Coin Locker Babies last year, mm-hmm. and I'm so impressed by the wit and friendship that you two present so naturalistically. Um, it's a beautifully designed show. The audio is nothing less than fascinating every time, and um, watching your relationship unfold episode to episode as you pilot through so much fascinating media is um, really a highlight of what's going on in the scene. Not to mention, both of you are straight men and fathers and have not stopped doing the fucking show, complaining <laughs> or like <laughs> saying that your show is crap. So you two are like patron saints of... Uh, the heterosexual world and like you and Glenn are like basically the last people who are making it work. Oh, I'm glad Glenn got his, got his flowers too. <laughs> I was thinking during that uh, Madonna episode, I was like, ah, oh, I guess Rare Candy is gay. <laughs> Am I, did I bring that up to him even? And the Am thing I, is, is that I like, I love collaborating with Glenn. Every episode I've ever done with him has been so much fun. And I just, just like when you're, a, you know, a few beers in and you're getting crazy about Madonna, sometimes you lose your mind a little bit. <laughs> hey, at Glenn least uh, is, Glenn is awesome. Glenn is like one of the coolest dudes. If Agitator wasn't in there, I was just going to text David and be like, I guess we're gay. you never know (laughs) or you know maybe you do i don't know i don't know are you gay kelby no (laughs) no that that uh that time that time we touched wieners that that didn't really do anything for me no me neither no but i'm glad that we did it at least yeah Yeah. it's soul bonding exactly yeah because we were we were coming up with ideas for manga and we were like what if dudes touched their wieners and then their feet started tapping really fast and then they put on diapers and we didn't we had to we had to leave that one on the cutting room floor because it just didn't it didn't but i mean first of all thank you that's probably the nicest shit anybody's ever said about me or kelby i don't know but uh yeah we um we just really like doing this like we we talk to each other all the time that was actually why we started doing the podcast because we talk on the phone so much it was just like why not why don't we just record this and you mentioned the ability to keep it going 
I, I don't understand why people stop, you know? I mean, if you're in a sales job, you have to make hundreds of calls to even like get one customer. So why would you stop after like five episodes? Doesn't make any fucking like we didn't even know what this. We didn't start our Patreon until like a month ago mm-hmm. because we didn't know what it was like. We had to know what it was going to be first, and it took seventy-two episodes to be like, okay, I think we got it now. I think I think we know. I think we know what this thing is, right? Yeah, it took um, me about seventy episodes, maybe sixty, seventy episodes before I felt confident in a vision for the Patreon and. um it was funny because it just like occurred to me when I was talking to Amy, Amy Therese and it was just like, oh, like these like 20 minutes of us like bickering about ContraPoints is like kind of like funny. And then like, it's sad that that wouldn't make it in. So that's where Sirens comes from, which is like the uh, crucial expansion to hearing the context, the behind the scenes and like stretching the world out. I have to keep talking about it on like main episodes where people don't realize it exists but please subscribe to my patreon i want more money <laughs> yeah me it's too, crucial bro. it's crucial yeah you gotta pay mm-hmm. i want to go back yeah, to okinawa and- right now so i need some more money for a plane ticket please <laughs> <laughs> i want and, that uh, for you i want you to have non-stop non-stop vacations and that's all the show is me too. Show. Money i can i can picture i can picture uh just like Kim Kardashian level Chi Chi just like flying to Okinawa Wouldn't just that be at the sick? top of a hat. Yeah, Kim Hell like yeah. Zach Langley Chi Chi takes Okinawa, takes Korea, takes Thai. Like I want I need all of it, you know? I need my seasons like Zach Langley Chi Chi. Precisely. <laughs> God. You got it exactly right. Like I aspire to be like jet setting like Kim and like setting seasons of my life in like different locales. And so many, the problem with so many, like, straight dudes is they don't, who try to, they'll do it, they'll do the podcast shit, and then downplay it, be like, I mean, this isn't art or whatever, like, you know, uh, or why would you pay for this, or this is just dumb, or it's like, then why the fuck are you doing it for mm. for three weeks and then quitting? Like, mm-hmm. Sounds like a waste of time. Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't get that. I don't either. It is a mystery that confounds, but, you know, I'm happy to leave the non-committal heterosexual podcasters in 2022. This is the first episode of the new year, and um, I've wanted to talk about the entire filmography of uh, the director of Neon Genesis Evangelion, Ano Hideaki, and so far, I've only touched um, End of Ava and Shin Godzilla on this show so far, so getting two of his best movies in today is very exciting, but... Uh, before we get into those perfect filmic representations of glorious male-described femininity, I want to talk about one of the most pressing idols of the century, Charlie XCX. Um, what What is your relationship with this woman, you two? You want to take it first, David? Sure. Uh, so Charlie is... Uh... She's kind of a dream girl, I guess you could say. I first encountered Charlie with the What I Like video where she's just hanging out with her girlfriends in her room on her bed. And I think at the time, uh, my wife and I were split up and I was very lonely. And I remember just being uh, drunk, high, some combination thereof. And uh, seeing this really hot chick... uh, very sexy woman uh with like a good song there's an impression that she gives that she's 
she's not just hot she's also really cool and i was just like man it would be cool to fuck her you know what i mean like that was that was just kind of like my thought process for the whole thing so i became uh obsessed with her uh with her uh, true romance so yeah this was way back and this is 10 years ago mm-hmm. now when she was big on the blogs and stuff. And then I sort of fell out of it with, uh, you know, like sucker and the number one angel. Those were, I had to go back to those, but then pop two came out and, uh, my wife, my, my reunited with wife and I were going to white sands, New Mexico, which is an awesome destination for people who are in that region of the United States. It's uh it's what it sounds like. It's just, it's white sands and uh pop two had just come out. We put that on and it was like, the coolest shit that I'd ever heard and introduced me to so many artists that I really got into like Tommy cash is one. Oh yeah. Who, uh, I don't know what Tommy cash is doing right now, but he had this song called uh pussy money weed. Mm-hmm. Pussy like, money incredible. Weed, pussy money weed. Yeah. And it's got, you know, it's got these uh, like amputees on these long Salvador Dali sticks kind of like walking. Around. It's a bunch of people in wheelchairs and shit. It's like, fetishistic and odd and a really cool song uh but i mean she's just kind of she's definitely the music that i put on when i'm like drunk and she was uh she was my number one most played spotify artist i love uh, that last year because i got fucked up a lot and it's just it's immediately (laughs) to to charlie like which one do i want to listen to am i feeling you know, number one angel. That's the slutty one. That's the like the stripper one. You know? <laughs> that's the one yeah. I'm always going to. <laughs> or do I want to do true romance? Get a little nostalgia. Pop to just a solid record. I never really went to uh, the only one I never really vibed with was how I'm feeling now. Uh, I think it's a good out. I think it's really good, but I like the more uh, maybe not polished. Polished might be the right the wrong word. No, I it's think a, it's actually the complete the, the correct word. But yeah. I, I completely okay. agree with you that her – I think one of the things that makes Charlie XCX so fascinating is that she is one of the only pop stars this century who remains fuckable. Everyone else mm-hmm. has the weird post-Bjork abstract impulses that they do these hideously unsexy, like, revolting videos with – but because Charlie XCX is a little bit of a greasy dick pig, she presents herself <laughs> and her pretty huge tits just like flapping around, oh, rolling great. around. Spectacular. I love her tits. They're big and yeah, me too. bouncy and mm-hmm. glamorous. They're like cutie honey boobs. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. Totally. There's like a there's like a cell phone video of her like dancing at a show or something. And them things are just bounces and i watched i watched that shit like a hundred times in a row I was, like i don't need Pornhub. that's good for me that's uh i'm getting older i'm easier oh no i 100 i 100 respect the art of like jerking off to an instagram story <laughs> like that's like <laughs> that's by far better than any porn like i can literally like, look at like a picture on instagram and <laughs> that's enough for me like i don't even need anything that's else cool. That's let's go. Back. That was back in the day. You had to you had to make shit work for you. You know, I mean, I'm I'm a pre-internet kid, so I had to like, you know, comic books, and you know, I had to get good at drawing. We talked about this on Agitator Z, but you know, I'd have to like learn how to, you know, freehand 
draw like Lara Croft, but no clothes. Right? Oh. You know? Like from those uh those top cow comics where she's just looking like complete plastic. But you have to freehand that shit because you gotta make it your own first. It's part of the occult ritual of uh you know drawing naked superheroes as a, as a child <laughs> amazing <laughs> kelby what's your history with charlotte i first uh came to charlie xcx with uh mike g from odd future had a remix of you're the one and i followed odd future religiously had every single mixtape and kept up with the music videos and i saw that one drop and was just like, oh, that's cool. Thought she was just kind of a sample chick. Like, I thought she was just part of the song or whatever. And I think I, they might have dropped her name in a mu- or a, an interview or something. I was like, oh, I need to check out more of this shit. And it was a uh, number one Angel era. So that kind of was my my intro album. And I fucked with it because where I was at, I was like, I was... I was in that, baby, you're the love of my life, selling all the drugs that I like, like just mode. Like I was like, yep, let's go. Uh, And then it's just fucking good music. I love her work ethic. From one interview that I read, I was like, this bitch is my hero. She like the female Takashi Miike to me. Um, Cause she was like, the interviewer was mentioning how she uh, showed up, no makeup, and was like, hey, if, all right, we're going to do this, but you got to come join me on all my shit today. And because uh, she a busy bitch, apparently. And he was commenting on how she's like ripping out her own toenails because she's dancing too hard. And she just describing her as this like gritty, like abrasive force of nature and i was like god damn yeah we need a pop star like this who is also selling sex with every fucking thing she does like like nobody else is doing right now just yeah. acting like it's 1999 and she's britney spears and i'm like yeah let's go <laughs> let's do it it's so true because um, in the contemporary pop landscape, we have people like Trina Trihardyama, the worst pop musician of all time, who uh, deliberately styled herself to like be a throwback nostalgia reference to the energy of like late '90s sex pot Britney. And the problem is that she intellectualizes herself so much and like does this um, ironic like past breaking apart sort of mode of music making that it is completely unsuccessful and misses the point. But then you put on a Charlie album and she is just talking about how in love she is with some man. The video has her in a little bra. She's just a touch overweight. Her hair is like knotted and like frizzy and her big lips are like smeared in makeup. And it's truly the only continuation we have from that kind of music because, um, even, like, the more, like, horny artists that are, like, you know, Slater and all of that, like, um, kind of hyper-pop crap, like, that's doing it as, like, a LGBT kind of joke. But what makes Charlie special is that she is a whore for fame. She wants to be famous so bad. She is such a little party freak and 
it's dick pig, really, that um, it all <laughs> translates so beautifully in her music. I love that she's always getting, like, it's almost reactionary the way that she's doing the exact opposite of the, uh, that LGBT pop, whatever, that, but she has, like, gay dudes and trannies and all that, like, she had Lizzo, like, she has <laughs> Pablo she, Vitar. She, she either puts them on or has them featured prominently in like her dance routines and music videos and everything. Absolutely. Like it's really breathtaking because she has become sort of this like patron saint of the LGBT and gay people have a very intense relationship with Charlie XCX. And I've discussed before that one of my first red pills of all time was when Charlie um, had been asked by all of these gay men at concerts to sign um, like butt plugs and enemas and take photos with poppers and there's like videos of her holding up poppers going gay rights and uh, she attempted at one point to sell poppers as merchandise and all of a sudden (laughs) this woman who is just like riotously like partying with gay guys and is just like having the time of her life doesn't give a fuck suddenly all of these um obnoxious gay people on the internet are saying that like she's being abused by gay men and they're like making her into a toy and she's uncomfortable and then she like literally like writes like this little letter being like no i'm doing this this is because it's fun like don't like say i don't have any control over this she is absolutely reactionary she's powerful and um God, I'm I'm obsessed with her. I was thinking we should start at kind of the beginning of her career, where I first fell in love with her, because um, she was supposed to open for Marina and the Diamonds on her Lonely Hearts tour, and uh, ended up canceling to open, I think, for Paramore instead. But I had already downloaded both of her mixtapes, fell in love with them, and uh, the first record was True Romance, and uh, this is like one of the most perfect albums of, like, the blogosphere, MySpace, do-it-yourself internet aesthetics, like, congealing into something worthwhile. Absolutely. That's an album that I can listen to from front to back. I, Every single song is great, uh, especially, you know, just to where it starts with, uh, you know, the is it's nuclear seasons i think yes that's the first song yeah that's such a cool um i'm trying to think of how to put this how there are some people who do the 80s uh pastiche thing and it feels like a put on and then there are other people who can kind of absorb it into their artistic being and spit it back out as something unique uh she's somebody who can do that i think maybe robin's another one who's Mm -hmm. pretty good at that uh, because Robin was around back then, so it's not a put on. But when you get to you know you, that is a very strange beat to that. So it's very unique and hasn't. You can't replicate something like that. And uh, so right off the bat, I mean, she's making bold choices. Oh yeah, and it's really this 
incredible like force of like oh i can just like recklessly get all these samples i want i can do these strange like hazy like white girl rapping on a pop beat kind of thing and you in parentheses ha 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 and parentheses is so good i remember Mm -hmm. um listening to that i was like making a zine in high school and i would just listen to it over and over again like getting emotional and i don't think like since that moment has anyone like of like the internet era been able to synthesize like so much like online garbage like into something that actually feels like emotional and unique sad it feels sad it is sad true true romance in general feels excuse me very sad to me from front to back there's um you know even i mentioned what i like and uh I mean, Grins is another one of like, Grins will just pop up randomly on playlists, which is a weird song from that album to to pop up. But it's uh, the whole thing is shot through with a with an undercurrent of sadness, even when she's not necessarily uh, singing about sad things. I also like the fact that you mentioned her kind of rapping, and this might be like a British person thing, but her voice just sounds cool and. I'm convinced that there's a tonality to, I mean, all rappers are like this now. No, no rappers can like, well, not no, but most rappers can't actually rap. Their voices just sound cool. Mm-hmm. And so she's got that too. Like you can listen to her kind of, uh, you know, with that, I don't know, that kind of sultry voice, say anything. And it's like, yeah, just please don't stop talking. ASMR dude, just all the way. Totally. You know just what I like. <laughs> like I wish that I did. But, <laughs> but I'm yeah. kinda scared. There's like a feeling too, like with these chicks that like the, the one the like the sex pot ones that you want to fuck. There's like a feeling of of like intimidation too. You're like, I don't know if I know what you like, what do you like? Interesting. No. Yeah. It's so funny because she's so removed from like I can recognize her as like a like a sex object because um there's a kind of woman who just has like a little bit of like a twitchy look in their eyes and it's like you can tell that they're like dying for dick and those are always yeah. the women that I get along with best and she has mm-hmm. it but it's also like I can't imagine her fucking interesting like I can't you know? <laughs> what would she act like. Yeah, I, my, she might be a pillow queen. She might be a pillow queen, <laughs> which is fine. I mean, I'm not complaining. Oh my god! But, yeah, it does just kind of seem like yeah, you don't. Yeah, that's a really good point. There's so many levels to sluts, you know. Mm-hmm. There's like multiple. There's like a hierarchy of this kind of shit. And you're right. I it is sort of hard to picture. I just know that it would be awesome. I know that in my heart. I think I do too. And (laughs) you said that there's like an undercurrent of tragedy to true romance. And when we're talking about like the different layers of slut, that's one of the most interesting ones. Like, you know, being a little bit uh, Laura Palmer about your uh, tragic love affair with these drug dealers who are slamming you and you're addicted to them and you can't stop. And, um, it also, like, reaches these, like, points of uh, ecstatic joy when you're listening to something like Black Roses, and it all kind of um, topples into that really heavy-hitting, like, fast-moving beat. It's so exciting. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it feels, I don't know. It feels so organic too. black roses feels like a really, I don't know what the, I don't know enough about audio to explain what exactly the song sounds like, but it, there's like kind of not a tin can quality. Do you, somebody mm-hmm. help me out here. What what am I trying to say? It's just that different. Tin, right? I mean, tin can is a good, is a good or like one. a chamber, like a, like a big, it's not echoey. It's more just like uh grimy. The whole thing feels a little bit grimy. That's yeah. very right. True romance has that layer of grime that a lot of music from this period had, or a lot of the music I was fucking with, at least. Like mm-hmm. I, I would line up true romance right alongside uh, ASAP Rocky's "Long Live ASAP." Oh, that, totally. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good poll. Yeah, yeah. That same like static grime, like sadness, where it just like. You could be talking about how much money you have and how you just love fucking bitches, and it's like, this is this feels sad and dark. Like, bro, you sound sad. Yeah. <laughs> are you really a fashion killer? Truly? Like, <laughs> are you happy about that? <laughs> is that good for you? Are you gay? It's the, it's the, yeah, it's it's the the era of Clams Casino. Mm-hmm. Clams Casino had the perfect distillation of this, and you know his beats were everywhere. I think my favorite one is I'm God, the little B beat. That one was great. Rowan Rowan goes to bed to I'm God. That's that's one of his first <laughs> songs. That's cute. Um, <laughs> I like think that the grime that you two are bringing up is really accurate because I remember when this was out, I was still in high school, and I would always feel like a little uncomfortable and sleazy because of that like tin can like poorly recorded in room quality of her vocals and like the kind of like grainy static like mp3 files like it really has the textural sensation of like makeup that was not wiped off the night before and you like left it on after like a dick slamming session and now it's just like cakey (laughs) and like sticking to the sheets and your mascara is like glued into your eyebrows like you know, it feels exactly like that. And it's sad. Yeah, yeah it's a it's sound like... that tells a story. You, yeah. Like, and it's probably fitting that all of us had like a similar, like we're at a similar place <laughs> coming to this music. So there's that element to it, I guess. But I don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I think it's, it'd probably be undeniable across the board to anybody. Like I imagine somebody just comfortable sitting on six figures and having a family listening to this music being like yeah this this does put me in a certain headspace mm-hmm. it's kind of like a hot chick with no makeup uh you know wearing her pajamas in a terminal waiting for like a red-eye flight kind of vibe you know yeah <laughs> like she's just- it's like that kind of chick, you know? Like, you see her and you're like, oh, man, she looks like she smells bad. But I was a, just good about way. to say it. It's like stinky pussy music. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can imagine, like, a gloopy, sticky pussy and, like, a pair of, like, used underwear when you hear this yeah. album. I fuck with it. But it's I glamorous, like too, because she's mm-hmm. so good at communicating this archetype that, wow, like... It does feel like dignified and emotional and climactic, especially because um at the time 
Charlie was uh, becoming like a little bit of, like you said, like a sample queen uh, with like her verse on Fancy by Iggy Azalea, as well as um, the, what what's that one song? I love it. That one. Oh, yeah. I, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. I love I it. Don't I don't yeah. care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was like kind of like ambiently around. However, like when you get to actually experience her in her own little, uh, like, I what I like bedroom with her friends, like, it feels exactly like the the smelly sensation we've talked about so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was also the beginning of that, or at least from, uh, from as far as I could tell at the time, it was kind of the beginning of that chicks who say fuck. Like, there wasn't, a lot of women singing vulgarity at the time and that felt more coming from a more uh just honest and natural place than it does now where it's just like i'm a bitch and i'm gonna say dirty words yeah and because it's so fresh it feels disgusting when you hear her i like i get like my skin gets, like, crawly when I hear her talking about, like, picking up a blunt or something. She's like, I'm fucking rolling a blunt. I'm like, ew, gross. <laughs> Put that down. Stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But also, you, baby, you do whatever you want. You can do whatever. You can roll that blunt. That's fine. That's fine. You, you, you I, do uh, what you have to do. <laughs> yeah, just do it. Just do what you got to do. Yeah, no, I, I love, uh, I love true romance. So the, the next two weren't super high on my heavy rotation, but that one was, uh, that one was important. Well, Sucker sure. is probably her worst album. Um, and I, like, yeah, I revisited yeah. it and, um, when I was re-listening to it, I did kind of come to the conclusion that I like that it exists because the idea of her doing this, like, scattershot, like, um, no album is exactly the same. I'm going to do the opposite of what you want me to do. Um, her doing, like, this um, annoying, like, bowling for soup, like, peppy mm. rock music thing, it <laughs> doesn't suit her, um, but it is amusing that she like went so far in the opposite direction because she could have easily just like sank deeper into like the scuzzy like 80s synth sample stuff but instead this is a bright um guitar driven album and it's very annoying and she says fuck you sucker (laughs) what are you talking about (laughs) yeah it feels very like like too young right Uh so the sex appeal kind of goes away because you picture like Anytime you listen to music and you can tell that, you know, 13-year-old girls might really fuck with it, it's like, I don't know if I like this anymore. It it, it kind of damages the sex appeal. The image of her as a sex object goes away with Sucker. Uh, it comes back, right, uh-huh. with uh, Number One Angel for sure, like hardcore. But yeah, Boom Clap, it's like, no, no, I don't want Boom Which Clap. Which is her most <laughs> successful song of all time. I believe it. I believe you. Yep. Yep. It's yep, the only song of hers that has ever like completely broken the veil, and it is annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't. I yeah. skipped that one. Yeah, I skipped the whole that's, album pretty much. Yeah, like that's one of the things I idolize about her as an artist, though. Is she, uh, 
I I can't recall which songs she's written, but she is a like serial ghostwriter for radio hits. Yes, and is just like like all about the money. She's like, I know how to write a hit, but with me, like my name on it, I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, she does London Queen, which I think is maybe her worst song of all time. When she's just like singing about like I'm from London and I used to go to parties and now I'm famous. Great. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> for sharing. <laughs> I wish I could do, I like, do a, like yeah. Doing it. I do like doing it. I like doing it. Um I kind of like break the rules as, as well. I don't wanna, I wanna go, go to, school. to school. I just want to break the rules. <laughs> cool. Ugh. That's crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, she does that stupid song Famous when she's like talking about like doing like LSD at a party pretending to be famous and the music video has a bunch of people trying to plug iPhones into skin sockets on a fat guy. It's very stupid. This album is annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Sucker is not the best. It's not the best. But hey, they can't all be winners. No. I mean, I guess for some people they can, but... You know, when you take risks, you end up with shit like this. But she bounces back, though. She, my she girl, bounces she comes back. back again. I said it. She's the female Mike. Like she right, just, yeah, right. onto the. I, yeah, I did that. Now, now onto the next one. You do a terraformers, and then you do a blade of the immortal. Exactly. You know? that's, what, that's what you do. One for no one, and then one for her. <laughs> <laughs> but what happened next in her career is uh, truly fascinating because. In 2016, she released the Vroom Vroom EP, and this changed everything about her because uh, she had, you know, done the, you know, sticky pussy pajamas, true romance. She had done, like, the Bowling for Soup, groovy pop music, and then what she did is she appealed to a genre that was not yet successful at all, which was PC music. Um, They had released their first collection, um, PC Music Volume 1, featuring GFOTY, who's been on my show, of course. I just performed one of her songs last night. And um, her leaning into production from Sophie and this, like, hyper-fast, polished to the point of being unpolished, like, uh, pristine idea of pop music was unheard of from anyone else. And she was, like the only person who did it without any irony or a joke. She leaned in because she thought it sounded good and everyone hated it when it came out. I must have missed I, this one. I love that. Yeah, it was right around. It was the near the same time she uh, did that after the after party with Lil Yachty. Yes, because she was supposed to do xcx world um during this time but because of her um really intense relationship with her gay fans she uh is also an idiot and like puts all of her fucking albums in progress on google drive and so the album obviously leaked and it was supposed to be like her first like big like billboard album that was like the truest statement of her yet And she was so discouraged by the leaks of stuff like Taxi and everything that she threw the whole record away and then drove straight into PC Music World with this uh, Sophie 12-minute EP. I'm surprised you haven't even heard Vroom Vroom before, David. 
Yeah, I don't know how this misses. I'm kind of retarded, so sometimes I miss things, even from artists that I really like, but I'm glad that I know about it now. Is this, I can probably find this leaked album too. This is all news I have the leaked album. Uh, shout really? out. Okay, yeah, cool. sh- shout out Sam, third place fellow. Yeah, fellow yeah. sent it to you. I know you told me about it. And I, yeah, um, I gotta hear that. you gotta watch the Vroom Vroom video at the very least, because it's, um, her looking her absolute best she's wearing a bikini and she her body has never been more put together than on that song and her boobs are bouncing oh man i'm gonna whack it to this shit (laughs) i'm so excited (laughs) if we were still on sirens he'd just be pulling it up just getting out right now (laughs) hey don't let me stop you (laughs) (laughs) and it's literally the, the lyrics of the song go Vroom vroom, bitches know they can't catch me. Vroom vroom, <laughs> and it's just like her doing like I've... car noises and like jiggling around. <laughs> Dude, let's go. I mean, this is. I mean, it's better than sucker, right? I mean, that's uh, that's what that's what the fans want. You got to give the people what they want every once in a while. Yeah, this looks amazing. I'm checking out images from this video. Lavender cool. Lamborghini. <laughs> pull up in a blue bikini <laughs> oh wow yeah yeah and all Looking of the good. all of the like aesthetics for this is just like her like in these uh like black and white like uh impossible technological dreamscapes like wearing latex bikinis and um computer generated cars uh this is like I thought this was so genius when it came out um and like now it's a little bit like passe because of course like with PC music and, you know, the influence of Sophie, like everyone is like an ironic digital superstar now, but like in 2016, it felt very, very impressive to me. Where do you think people go from that now? Like what's the 2023 version of that? Well, she's a good model for what to do about that because she threw PC music away and like uh, on her most recent album, it's not like that at all. So after, you know, a solid, Mm -hmm. like, four years of just that kind of sound she realized like the best way to go about it is just to make like pleasing pop music that's like simple and uncommented upon Mm, right right so it's a kind of you know expansion and contraction like you you move out into the fringes and Mm -hmm. then you kind of go back into you know craft and songwriting that makes i like that a lot because the reactionary in me has always been against the quote-unquote like growing up i always want to agitate and antagonize Uh but the ebb and flow the expansion and contract that make yeah i think that is the sign of a truly like developing artist absolutely and it's it's really special because um, unlike uh, so many other artists who are, like, quite niche and, like, haven't really broken through to, like, prominence, like, uh, those people always end up, like, bowing to the gay men who support them. And she instead is constantly going in the opposite direction uh, based off, like, what she thinks is most interesting and uh, what she wants to do. And so when she first started with the, the PC music kind of, like, hyper-digital aesthetic thing... Um, people hated her for it and were like deeply annoyed and it took like it took until pop two until anyone gave a fuck about it at all um but before that we have um 
her third mixtape. Uh, she was having a lot of label problems and wasn't able to get her album out. And so she just started dumping out uh, mixtapes in a different direction, still like produced mostly by um, like people like Sophie and uh, other people in the PC music uh, scene. And I know you both are fans of Number One Angel, so tell me more about your thoughts on this record. Number One Angel is just how true romance has that sadness grime to it number one angel has this uh oh, what's the best way to put it this kind of again she was ahead of the curve with everything because it was kind of this zand out music before you got annoyed with yeah yeah all the fentanyl like dead-eyed like border you know suicides waiting to happen it was like suicide music at just the right moment that didn't overstay its welcome totally yeah su yeah suicide music doomed woman music i feel is a is a good way of putting it too you'd mentioned the laura palm laura palmer thing this is like yeah i mean it's it's stripper music that feels like you know she's got a she's got a few weeks left and uh, and then the the batteries are gonna run run out on this. She's gonna run out of road or something like that. It feels it, some of these songs uh, feel apocalyptic in a way, right? And then you have like you know, blame it on you, which goes back to that kind of true romance. Uh, I mean, I know it's got it's it's different from that album, but it's got kind of that same sort of grimy but low-key vibe mm -hmm. i like a lot of these more low-key songs too but it gets back into that headspace of fully embodying i think what works for me uh as a charlie xcx fan absolutely just again back to the uh you know the pj bottoms yeah and it really does like feel like um the most like beautiful plastic stripper in the world who is like three seconds away from like driving her Porsche off the end of a cliff. Like yep. when these songs get like fast, it is like manic and scary. Um, like roll with me, which is uh, produced by Sophie. Mm -hmm. Of course, like that song is terrifying. It is. Mm -hmm. I'm so yeah. glad you said that. Yeah. It's, and that's how I feel about a lot of the songs on this album is that like, you know, it, fe it feels like somebody going completely like lipstick smeared, crazy you know just like it's almost like uh you know she's she does this so much that the only way it can be translated into this kind is into this kind of music but like that there's something going on uh like under the surface it's that that kind of like crazy uh you know like jokered out kind of manic bullshit or something like that yeah, it's iceberg music because you can just see you're like I know there's something deeper under there because a, a lot of that is a great a lot of the it. lyrics they're like I mean it starts off with Dreamer right it's mm -hmm. like kind of flexing and being like it, it's not like I'm a tragic queen I'm a mess or anything like that it's just it has the tone of somehow putting you in the like without showing you anything beneath the surface you know it's there yeah because it's that really like hazy smoky like 
ambient music in the background and she's like I'm a dreamer and she's like I'm gonna be you know so successful and famous but it's like that spooky A.G. Cook production in the background is telling you that actually uh, she's about to hit the iceberg and she's gonna go down yeah. she's already dead she's, <laughs> she's already dead these are like the these are like the dying hallucinations of somebody who's ODing yeah you know? it like literally like, sounds like her myspace like has been like animated like post death and is like making like a procedurally generated like music it's so haunted and empty and but also like full of suggestion and when it gets all the way to lip gloss which is i think the most insane song in her whole discography <laughs> it's cupcake this fucking batshit ratchet girl like she is she's fucking ratchet like she literally like has like a mental health like breakdown on twitter like every two weeks and it's like literally cupcake just like doing like ooga booga like tribal like dick writing raps (laughs) as they go Ooh, damn! This flavor, flavor, so good. I'm like, what the mm-hmm. fuck is that? Is it? It's it's an extremely. It's like the one of the most uncomfortable endings to an album since Corn's self-titled album. Yeah, I think, it, you know? it yeah. feels like Corn. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, it's uncomfortable and and in the best kind of way. Yeah. I've listened to this song so many times. <laughs> I cannot yeah, believe like, there's just like these two straight dads listening to fucking lip gloss. <laughs> <laughs> While where I remember distinctly when I was uh list well like I've had this album on constant rotation for years, but uh the most recent repetition this record got was whenever uh Erica was ready to put a hammer through the wall and was like, cause we live in a small house that I've been like renovating just throughout the years, like one thing at a time. And uh, the closet was a big issue. Our closet's retarded. It's like uh, we have a one bed, one bathroom house. So there's no like quote unquote master bedroom, uh-huh. but the, our bedroom has the biggest closet but not really it was like it's like 12 inches deep but like seven feet wide but it only has a an opening of like four feet so like really stupid setup and so uh i i just tore down the wall and made it bigger and everything yeah and i had this album playing just on repeat the whole time i was remodeling the closet and uh it's it's like she would walk in like clockwork and check up on me or like bring me something or whatever whenever lip gloss was playing (laughs) (laughs) amazing i remember when i first heard this album was when i was working as a ta in a correctional institution in oregon and um before like my friend and i who were like doing this like prison exchange program together basically like he told me, he was like, oh, did you hear there's a new Charlie album out today? I was like, what? It was, like, surprise dropped. And so on the way back from, like, reading, like, uh, fucking, like, God, we were, like, reading, like, Hannah Arendt with, like, these, like, prisoners in Oregon. <laughs> yeah. And we were, Let's like, go. on the drive back from Salem, Oregon, the most destitute town in America, listening oh, to Number One so Angel in the van. That's <laughs> nice. 
That's a great memory. <laughs> it That's is a terrible town, but a great memory. Yeah, Salem. You, you've been you've been to you've been to Bend, haven't you? Bend is a half hour away from my home. Yeah, yeah. I kind of fuck with Ben because it's high desert. Well, now, it's, yeah, because I, I live, I'm from the high desert. I'm from fucking Sisters. So it's like, that's the, where I'm from, basically. And um, Bend is now a tech capital. Did you know that? Yeah, Bend, when uh, one of my really good friends grew up in Bend, and he was like, it's all meth and just desolation. And then I remember driving through Bend and I was like, this looks okay to me. Because yeah, it's gorgeous. Fun. I mean, you're surrounded by, like, huge mountains and, like, beautiful, like, trees everywhere. But then if you go to Redmond, things start getting scary. Like, <laughs> then, yeah, yeah. That's Oregon's, where things become. Oregon's uh, just, it's, it's just a different, that whole state is a different vibe. It, Oregon's got its own thing going on. It sure on. is. Not to derail. It's derail number one angel, sure. 100%. It's, like, the exploding, yeah. like, lip gloss, like, sounds like a stripper, like, exploded. And you're, like, walking through, like, the gloopy, like, makeup that's been splattered on the wall after she, like, fucking burst apart in the scenes. <laughs> like, it's the same Oregon vibe, honestly. Yeah, Maybe yeah. that's why, like, so for a period of time, I lived with two strippers. And it feel like... Yeah, it has the vibe of what they're actually like, like with no appeal. Like I lived with these strippers, and they're the reason I've never been to a strip club. I'm like I, you never no. been to a strip club? No, not not. I didn't really know that beyond, about you. Even I've been to a strip club. Lot. I love them. I think they're great. I just went to a it's, peep show a few it's... weeks ago called Madonna and Kabuki Show. They describe it actually in um da, 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 in the miso soup. I went to the same place. Really? Yep. That's badass. No. Still running. <laughs> That's the kind of tourism I want to do. Exactly. Sex oh, tourism is the only tourism. Yeah. Yeah. Thus, the trip to Thailand, right? The season of I'm So Popular from, from, from Thailand. Yes, I'm that So Popular sick. season five. Zach Lingley Chi Chi gets AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it could be good for the Patreon. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. I'll, if I get know, AIDS, I'll I'm transition like... and then I can get like a sympathy trans dollars and sympathy HIV dollars. Oh my god, the grift is so strong. Yeah. That's like, I like That's all you need to combat AIDS is money. Why? Roses in the snow. (laughs) 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 And then you're on your your AIDS deathbed and Cupcake kicks down your door. He's like, pussy, no, good. good." (laughs) Turns out dying actually sucks. When I suck dick, (laughs) when I ride dick, and I'm just like, frailly dying and like (laughs) (laughs) oh damn this flavor flavor so good (laughs) it's so good (laughs) let's do what oh man i i think about that all the time like like the last song you're ever gonna hear before you die i hope it's not something stupid i hope it's something really cool because you know whatever you listen to is gonna take on the kind of weight that it doesn't deserve because it's the last song Mm -hmm. you'd be like man I hope it's not lip gloss. It's a great song, but you know, not that. It's gonna one. be hit 'em up. I've just got to. Yeah. I've just got to have it ready. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta have it queued up. Yeah. From... <laughs> so let's talk about Pop Two here. Um, this is probably the most successful moment in her career. Um, and it's funny because once again, it came from resisting the systems that uh, had been basically governing her career up to that point. And uh, this, there's a very useful quote about it from Wikipedia that she said, 
I wasn't sure what people wanted from me, honestly. And I'm signed to a major label, so the second you call something an album, there's all this stress and fear and pressure and scheduling. They're like, oh, she's putting an album out. When's Ed Sheeran releasing his album? We gotta make sure it doesn't go anywhere near that. It's like a schedule. The second you just change your language to mixtape, nobody cares. So I was like, cool, I'm doing mixtapes then. It was just like there was no kind of logistical stress, even though it's the same thing. I mean, it's 10 original songs, it's artwork, it's features, it's whatever, it's the same. So she basically got to uh, release a volume of some of her best music um, and uh, do it without having the stress of the label system or fan expectations. And she assembles what I think is her best usage of like the PC music, hyper-pop, like... Uh, post-arty kind of um, music. Uh, It's her most experimental, but it also is uh, aching and sad in uh, a way that's very different from everything else. It's kind of funny that she just called it a mixtape, and that's... we Kelby and I have discovered that in the book world, because there are short stories that are 20,000 words, but it turns out if you just put them between two covers and call it a novel, people sort of just go with it uh-huh. like oh okay cool yeah it's just a short novel so the the interesting magical thinking behind that is that you know you can just sort of create your own reality by choosing what you want to call things and it's literally that simple but this is my uh yeah this is definitely my favorite i feel like she's in full kanye west mode because kanye west uh besides you know being a brilliant producer what makes him such a good producer is his you know, ability to to sample, but also use artists' very particular talents. He's good at finding like the one thing that makes a certain artist good and using that for a 15 second snippet mm-hmm. in a five minute song and then saying, hey, you know, it's featuring Kid Cudi. It's like, I don't really fuck with Kid Cudi, but he just, you know, he kind of pops up and the part that he's in is perfect for that song. And that's what I feel about uh, about this album too. It feels like she's using like all these different uh, guest features that she has, it's all these different sort of toys, right? So, oh, you know, Tommy Cash would go really good here. You know, uh, you know, oh, we'll have uh, the first song with, you know, Carly Rae Jepsen. But it's, but it's, I mean, and I like Carly Rae Jepsen, okay. Uh, I'm definitely not anti-Carly, but it, it it's different, you know? Like Backseat is, it's such a cool, it's such a cool song. And like the way that it started, like the noise, that it starts with is so dun, I don't know, just interesting. Dun, dun. Yeah, and it's yeah, a layered, it's juicy so, sound. Yeah. It's it's metallic, aching. right? Yeah. 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 It's just it it's back to that. Uh I don't know. Pop two doesn't feel like grimy in the same way that True Romance or no, number one no. angel does, but it's it's like uh it's like what it would actually be like to look at a like a real android. You know, this is the music where, you know, I'm a robot now, uh, but this actually does, this feels like a, a rope, like an Android that's, that's real. That's my, yeah. that's my. Yeah. A sentient Android, like yeah, an Android with yeah. actual feeling. It's overused that thing, that whole idea of this is what music made by an Android would sound like it's overused, but this is like a cyberpunk, uh, you know, she's got a metal arm and maybe a fake eye <clears throat> and maybe she's got super strength or something, but it's uh it's actually like cyberpunk music yeah and despite the fact that it's like very high concept and like like you said it's like the fembot thing everyone's fucking done it 
Lady Gaga's done it, like, fucking Janelle Monet's done it, Grimes, blah, every single person in the world, and even Robin has done it, but, like, this is the most, like, Blade Runner-y, it feels like, you know, Tears in the Rain, and, um, the songs are emotive, and they are just pleasing as pop songs, too, like, Backseat is beautiful, it's so full of longing and tragedy, and, um, when she just, like, goes into, like, retardo pop mode with, like, I got it, where she says, I got it, 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 I got it. And then... But the beat's going, like, boom, 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 boom. Like, that's... Hell yes. She does got it. Absolutely. Absolutely. There was, uh... The unlock it was big. Yes. It introduced, uh, you know, my wife to Jay Park. And, you know, so then that's a whole thing. Now we listen to Jay Park. But it was one time actually, it's funny. I was in London and we were going to get some food. And there was a line of Asian kids like around the block. And we asked one of them what it was for. And uh, it was a Jay Park concert. So I don't know. I don't know. If, I mean, I'm sure Jay Park was successful in Korea uh, before all this, but that's a good example of what I mean, where I think his part on unlock it is, is probably like 15 or 20 seconds long. Yeah. He's not there for very long, but it, you know, it makes the whole song. It, it wouldn't be the same song without it. And the queen. <laughs> like the whole guest list is basically like an entire like choir of every person who's ever been even lightly popular to gay people. Carly Rae Jepsen, Tavlo, Caroline Polachek, Pablo Vitar, Dorian Electra, Mickey fucking Blanco, Kim Petras. Like, it's like every, like, loser celebrity who's, like, not ever been that successful but has, like, achieved, like, moderate, like, pop success with faggots. And the way she uses them, like, in those, like, one or two little punchy lines is so effective. Mm-hmm. What do you all think yeah. about Track yeah. 10? One of the greatest songs of all time. So yeah. true. Mm-hmm. And it's better this way than the remix on uh, Charlie. The horror, the awful Lizzo remix. <laughs> yeah. Because yes. <laughs> yes. this has like that whole minute and a half of like the entire album, like breaking apart into like these like paradise Android sounds of like birds being ripped apart. And uh, the only <laughs> lyric is just like, I blame it on your love love i do and it's very sweet it's touching android birds being ripped apart is the perfect yeah it's like robot birds going through a shredder while a dial-up tone is playing yeah (laughs) (laughs) and it's emotional i don't know why this like feels like kind of like um the climax of her career for me um it it feels like the perfect like summation of uh both of her like abilities to so accurately express this strange like female energy um while also like create something that's uh truly pop too which is such a provocation of a title like this does feel like a sequel to pop as a concept ooh, ooh i like that i like that yeah i never really thought of the title much there's just but yeah, that's exactly what it is. It'd have been more obvious if it was like Pop 2.0, you know, yeah, she... the robotic upgrade. It was like, <laughs> no, just just claiming just claiming the sequel. Yeah, the next wave. Um, 
the rest of her career, which we can power through because we have a, a lot of stuff to talk about the movies too, but um, Charlie and How I'm Feeling Now are basically the same album to me, but like Charlie was supposed to be, um, once again, it was supposed to be her big blockbuster album. I think it achieves that, and it definitely feels like kind of like a victory lap sort of record for her. Um, I love Shake It, which is <laughs> like, it's like lip gloss and unlock it, and I got it, um, but like even more insane and out of control. Um, I like February 2017, which feels sad. I like the Sky Ferreira song. <laughs> I like uh, 2099. It's good. It just uh, it doesn't mean that much to me overall. Same. Yeah, I use a couple of songs on this for putting my kid to sleep as well. Uh, Official is probably the most played song on my Spotify because it just has that. Uh, it has a kind of lullaby quality to it, mm-hmm. whereas like at the same time he's drifting to sleep to like Clams Casino and this, and then a couple of like Mac Miller songs. It's like I'm just. I'm sitting there vibing out. Totally vibing. This is an album that I find very easy to like let play in the background. It's like a nice solid 50 minutes and uh, it's pleasurable. The It's it's engaging um, and I don't need to pay attention to it because it just kind of happens naturally. Good for her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was excited for uh, for Charlie when it came out and I listened to it a couple of times and I was like, okay. Yeah, I mean, wait, is Char- Charlie's the one with the BTS song on it? Or is that, I forget What's the now. Or was that just a single? Song? I think that's just a single. That's just a single, okay. I think they might have come yeah, out a, like, yeah. around the same time or something. It was, yeah, it was around that, the same that time. Single. Yeah, I like that single a lot. It's got like two people from BTS in it. It's, it's a good one. But yeah, it's just not, it's not very uh, memorable to me. It's just solid pop. It doesn't make the, uh, like, genre statement of doing it's just not experimenting with a lot yeah besides shake it shake it is pretty ballsy in that it's like a it's a pop stars song in which she uses her voice and her presence as merely an instrument totally she's literally just a facilitator for everyone else and uh the production on that song is nutso it's like it's out of this world. It like it's crazy. It sounds like computers exploding. There's just lots of like exploding um, robots and and like uh, animatronic birds and stuff all over her career. But that one is like especially like grating. Um, how I'm feeling now. Uh, her COVID album. It's fine. <laughs> I don't care about it that much. It's a kind of annoying because she goes backwards a little bit to do like some of the more like grading experimental stuff but who cares it's still fine uh and then crash uh from last year everyone thought it was a disappointment but i love it <laughs> no love it's great it. yeah I fucking people love think, crash. did people really think it was a disappointment okay so critics guess... loved it like it, it's it was uh okay just beloved by pitchfork and all of them but all of the gays who think they know so much about everything and have to have right, the edges right. depending like it's mid it's actually fantastic. Uh, no, it's really good. I must hang out with cooler people because all I, I would just talk to Sam about the album. We were both really hyped when it was coming out, and then it came out, and we were like, "Fuck yeah!" That's exactly what we wanted. I thought it was really, again, it's the, it's kind of the just return to the 
the shit that I like that she does, you know? And I mean, uh, like beg for you is just like a really great single. Uh I think think that's one of her best singles. Um, is this the the Rina Sawayama? Is this the person who you don't like? I hate that bitch. yeah 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 because she does a song she does a song where she's like i'm the devil or something yes that's uh, right oh this, this hell, hell is hell better is, with you yeah it's that's the one. Yeah, <laughs> worst yeah. song of all that, time that's low, low key that my wife my wife plays that one a lot i can't i can't fucking stand that song it's okay it's if just, you do really... you know i won't hate anyone for tolerating her but i have a personal grudge against her because um she hates being japanese clearly and like refuses to embrace any parts of Japanese culture and just whines about the trauma of her Japanese parents instead of, like, embracing mm-hmm. how cool her country of origin is. Yeah, I'm not here for any Japan slander. No. Yeah, we're Japanese nationalists. Except me, me yeah. as well. My friend Andrew and I in Okinawa were, like, convinced that actually she's Korean and is, like, a Korean transplant to, like, neg more people she's into like, hating Japan. Dirty dirty fucking korean <laughs> soju <agent>. guzzling yeah. <laughs> <laughs> korean monkey oh my yeah. god <laughs> but yeah crash is fabulous the cover art is so good i remember thought topics or like complain that i don't understand what this has to do with the album she's being a whore it's just, she's being a fun whore yeah. on the car and she's it's violent I she's on it. top of your fucking car and she's coming for you she's bleeding out of her head and she's gonna sing pop songs about her pussy that's was right. this finally her breakout this because is her breakout for sure this actually felt like an album rollout for the and everything else was just like a a drop like here it here's here it is people play and good this... ones in public that's weird <clears throat> that a charlie xcx yeah. song comes on <laughs> like it's strange that's a great that's a fucking banger it. song too yeah, yeah. what are you guys fa- what's y'all's favorite song on this one Ooh. Hmm. i like lightning a lot i was gonna Light- say lightning is. too it's got such a powerful yep. chorus it makes me pump my fist and you know it just feels cool I like constant repeat. I like beg for you. I like new shapes. I like crash. And basically every single day of my life, I'm just, you know, walking around and I started thinking to myself, I'm about to crash. I'm about to crash. I'm about to crash. (laughs) 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 So looking back at Charlie as um, one of the few successful uh, female pop stars who is libidinal and interesting, what do you think she means as this image what's important about her what should we take from her artistic endeavors it's a big question it's a huge question what do we do whatever the fuck you want is is big do 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 whatever whatever, you want do whatever the fuck you want uh especially if you have libidinal energy beautifully said I feel like put yeah, that I feel out like there there's too. a there's a looseness to like a holding it there's a quality you get with artists who are really uh good like this where their music comes out fully uh feeling like it's of them where you know she's got a good work ethic and you know she's put time into her craft and and the music but it also does feel like it's not a hundred percent taken seriously uh and held 
in a kind of loose way. So I think that's a really good combo for any artist to have who's like more technically proficient and naturally talented than, you know, 99% of other people, but who doesn't, you know, doesn't get grim about it and be like, Oh, this is my, you know, this is my art. It's, it's yeah, that kind of yeah, balance. Stop, stop being precious. She dropped precious one of her thing. greatest albums as a mixtape just because just like well i want it to come out fuck it like here's and i don't want the pressure of whatever so here's a mixtape and it's one of her greatest albums absolutely the best she refuses to over edit which is so refreshing and she refuses to over and over intellectualize and i love that this like dumb party girl from london uh who just loves getting wasted and doing like molly and like partying with gay people at the club she refuses to apologize for anything and instead channels it into like freewheeling interesting pop music um and uh she is a true star and i no matter where she goes uh from here i can't wait to keep being with her because my god who else is going to have like fucking 10 tricks point never producing like actually compelling pop music <laughs> like it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> shots fired shots fired. i love one of point never okay but no one else has been able to use him successfully as a pop recording artist like anohani uh, no uh, is that how you pronounce that uh, oh my god i think it is wow drone I, I don't know bomb me pronounced. girl shut up honestly <laughs> i hate that shit i hate that voice so much it's just like that was uh anthony and the johnsons right yeah was the first one before she and transitioned went, right and it just got worse it's like oh my god who finds this this you know four degrees i think is a good song uh-huh. i think that actually kind of utilizes the talents well but that that's that shit's just so theater kid and great don't be a fucking theater kid how about that? be charlie but you just be <laughs> yeah. just be cool just be fucking cool and like chill mm-hmm. and like still better than everybody else that's the way to be is to be better than everybody else. but don't be don't be don't be a fucking snob about it
Well, Love and Pop is the first live-action film directed by Evangelion Artur Ano Hideaki. It's from 1998, and it is his critique and survey of the Angel Kosai phenomenon, known as compensated dating in the West, when uh, young schoolgirls would use burner phones and um, these call-in services and go on allegedly sexless dates uh, with young men for a certain amount of money. Uh, it stars um, Miwa Asumi as Hiromi, um, a young, listless girl who has no meaning in life and decides to recklessly pursue a day of Enjo Kosai compensated dating in order to purchase a topaz ring. Uh, it's based off an untranslated novel by Murakami Ryu, and this really cements Ono's visual style. It's done entirely with handheld camcorders that are strapped to people's faces, strapped to bicycle wheels, strapped to plates and cups, and um, it is the most visually accurate depiction of Tokyo I've ever seen and is a movie that makes me weep um, unconditionally every time. It's so beautiful. I am obsessed with this film. What were your impressions of it? Top five all time. This is one of my favorite movies ever. Absolutely. It's non... It's amazing in the way that it creates two simultaneous vibes that run side by side throughout its entire length because it's frenetic and hypnotizing at the same time Mm -hmm. because the editing is so choppy and it's non-stop very interesting camera angles but a lot of you know even though there's like pervy shit and then there is like the the moment where uh our boy kakihara comes in and is like gonna taser um like there is tension in it but there's also a lot of like weird sweetness and lulls and just not not a lot going on Mm -hmm. but the camera constantly shifting so it's a very uh it's a very unique vibe sustained throughout the whole movie pretty much oh yeah 
Or what did you think, David? Uh, uh, yeah, I thought it was great. I thought that uh, <clears throat> I kind of couldn't look away from the thing. And I found it really inspiring on a technical level. I really wish more movies today in 2023 were made with camcorders. I love the way that camcorders look. Uh, it evokes... It's not even nostalgia. It's just a feeling of that kind of time, like America's Funniest Home Video style. I've often wondered why directors don't do that more often. There's this um, appreciation for, you know, 35 millimeter film or even whatever it was that, you know, David Lynch shot Inland Empire on. Mm -hmm. But the cheap camcorder is such a cool... Uh, it looked the whole movie looks like a skate video, but just with this kind of it's still sh like if this had been shot with a regular film camera, I think that maybe some people who don't quite get it would have gotten it. They'd be like, oh, right, right, right. This makes sense. The you know the camera's going all over the place, and now it's in a microwave, and now it's under the. But it's got this. Uh, I've used the word grimy a lot but it does have that kind of feel to it. And it's definitely, I mean, obviously, like you said, this isn't translated, but it feels extremely Murakami. Uh, yeah. Just with the the high weirdness that comes out of nowhere, the dude who makes them chew a grape, but not eat it. And then he's got these surgical gloves on and he sort of sorts the grapes and asks them to give him fake names that sound real. But, uh, yeah, I knew that it was brilliant about 10 minutes into the movie. There's a shot of Hiromi walking on uh, train tracks, and it's kind of overlaid with with some other shot. It's very, very strange looking. And I was like, oh, this is, this is different. Mm. And uh, I didn't know until uh, after I watched these movies that this was the Evangelion guy. Uh, I actually didn't know that. And I was like, that's fucking crazy that he went from that to this is very cool to me. Yeah, it is really remarkable. And <clears throat> you, you really wouldn't know right off the bat. But the more you like dig in, it is very thematically similar to Evangelion. And um, once you kind of get like a feel for the visual language that Anno like shoots from, you'll notice that in Evangelion, he does a lot of like similar shots that he's presenting here. But the digital camcorder, which is very much like the all-seeing eye of that camera that the scary guy in Lost Highway holds presents a realism that is so unshakably real that despite the editing, which cuts sometimes, like, every uh, second or, like, less than a second, it, like, it, it is schizophrenic in how often the camera will move around one sequence. He would film it with, like, eight cameras at once and, like, film these scenes over and over again so that he could get every possible angle and then create this um, livelihood in the cinematography that really makes you feel like this is the most real thing that's ever been put to film. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, most movies are artificial and they're clawing at a kind of authenticity. And this is like authenticity that's trying as hard as it can. It's clawing at artifice, but it just, it just can't do it. It's too real. 
Yeah, because there's a lot of affectation, like in the some of the performances and in like the the stylization, in the unending like use of the uh, Eric Satie like gymnopedia music. Like it feels very like practiced and um, you know deliberate, but because of that insane camera work, you are in Tokyo for the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Which I yeah, dug. I, I love the architecture, especially. Sorry, just the, the when they're walking around that uh, pyramidal structure. I don't even know what it is. I just thought that was cool to look at. Oh, me too. <laughs> everything's, yeah, everything's cool to look at. And uh, to, like, the answer to your question, why don't people use camcorders more often, is because, like, uh, in the West, at least, that <laughs> became the gimmick. The, like, handheld camcorder, if it's, like, a like a mockumentary or like a this really happened these people really disappeared and this is a i love that this is a theatrical film like this is a fictional story being told through camcorder like there's no off-screen like oh we're like in the office filming what's going on it's like this is it's a movie and it was shot with a camcorder Yes. Like that that's it. And it's very stylized and it's very narrative heavy. Um Hiromi narrates a lot of the movie in these dejected monologues that are really heartbreaking about how little faith she has in her listless future as she um pilots from high school into an unknowable future, um, falls slowly out of touch with her friends and begins to feel like a shallow representation of herself and uh, her little journey to go through this compensated dating to give herself meaning through the purchase of a ring. I mean, this is such a fucking story. You can never cheapen it, like, by making it, like, Blair Witch or some, like, mockumentary thing. It has to be a film. Yeah, and I love in that documentary how, or in one of the, one of the the behind-the-scenes documentaries on it, they were um, commenting on whether his vision like they're trying to make sense of his vision like why why is he doing it this way like he kind of he wants it to be a documentary or what what's the deal here yeah they have no idea because nothing like this has ever been like done in um outside of Ono's filmography nothing really like looks like this either and the you can tell that the tensions on set were very high and Ono is like notorious for being like quite opposite to Charlie, like, a total Nazi in his uh, visions. And uh, when he was, like, making Evangelion, um, his, like, style of work was, like, so intense that basically everyone who ever works with him says they hate it until, like, three years after when they've had time to recover from the trauma. (laughs) And and they realize his genius. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite parts from that documentary is when he's, they've cast Hiromi, and he he's talking to one of his coworkers on a balcony and he says, you know, I don't feel any connection to the girls at all. He said, but maybe that's good. Maybe that'll actually work out. We'll, we'll just, we'll just have to see. I was like, fuck yeah, let's go. Let's go. Again, it's that, I love, I love the, uh, the tension between, you know, art and artifice. That's, that's one of the, the major fun things for me <clears throat> so that's why i love bad quote-unquote bad special effects or things that are on camcorder 
I like the, uh, I feel like that these things are uh, gateways to actually emotionally engaging with work mm-hmm. uh, in, in ways that the more polished stuff just doesn't really, just doesn't really work for me. Yeah. You know, I need that barrier. I need it to be anime or, uh, you know, or stupid or, you know, fantastical or whatever, because I don't like quote unquote realism because it feels like the fakest shit to me. Yeah. Right. And it, I just feel like this movie with, uh, you know, like they're kind of go with the flow attitude. They scrap the whole final beach scene because uh, I didn't know if this was a joke or true, but apparently some assistant director kept fucking it up. So they just couldn't get their shots. Was that real or was that supposed to be like a gag for them? My impression is that it's 20% uh, 20 real, 80% a gag. And that the truth is that when Anno like watched a cut of the footage they had, he just didn't think it like worked well. And, um, mm-hmm. of course, that was filmed in Okinawa, which is, like, my new, like, soul location. <laughs> so, rewatching that and seeing the girls on the beach was very moving for me in the behind-the-scenes footage. But, uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, he scrapped uh, the most recent Evangelion film, 3.0 plus 1.0. He scrapped the first half of the movie, not once, but twice. So, he's, like, he's known oh, to, like, really not... Um, if he doesn't like how something is, he will you know, whittle it down until he can get it to be what he wants it to be. Um, And speaking of the girls, they are so well cast. He basically picked, like, a bunch of, like, washed-up, like, gravure idols and, like, failed, like, singer-songwriters and, like, nothing anti-career new actresses. Uh, Only one of them, Nakama Yukie, who uh, plays Sadako in some of the Ring movies, um, she's the only one who, like, really, like, sustained a career after this, and um, they all look so effervescent and tragic in their performances. It, the, it's really a different kind of acting than you would see in most Japanese cinema. Yeah, it didn't, uh, it, it was somewhere, it was somewhere between that, like, Karen style of just throw some people in front of a camera and let them be weird and overacting. It's like not, I don't know. It felt real, but not real. Like, Mm -hmm. like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like when shit is, when you look at something and it's like, Oh, this kind of feels like it. I never had that thought necessarily. I wasn't like, oh, are these real girls? I never like felt like that. But it just, it was a, uh, I don't, know, I just, I don't really have words to describe acting. I guess I, I but, love the idea of finishing any every movie from now on, and whoever I'm watching it with, I'm like, do you think that that was real? <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have, uh, I have questions for you, Zach, about this movie. Yeah, please. Uh, from stuff that might be lost in translation. So at the end of the movie, it's my favorite part. It's got my boy in it. Uh, Tada, how do you say his fucking Asano name? Asano Tadanobu. Kakihara. Kakihara. Yeah. I just call him Kakihara. Um, who's such a frightening looking human being. Just his, his face is very scary to me. Um, but he's a mental patient. One of these people who Hiromi goes on a date with. He takes her to the scariest love hotel i've ever seen horrifying marble walls and it just it looks like hell to me without ever 
it's a real love hotel. They didn't do anything to it. That's just the people fuck in those places. Love hotels look like that, by the way. Like That's they literally odd. do. Like I, <laughs> this I fucked this Nigerian guy once in a love hotel, and it like looked exactly like that. And that was it was just as scary as a. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll, I'll bet that was scary. But so this guy, who, he talks to a stuffed animal whose you know name is Love and Pop. That's where the title comes from. But. That's the stuffed animal's true name, but it something keeps getting bleeped, and it's like something ball. What's going on with that? Okay, what is he saying? So they keep bleeping this out because, like you mentioned, uh, the final man that Hiromi takes on the compensated dating venture is by far the he seems the friendliest and most uh, palatable at first, but he has a very strange relationship with this uh, stuffed animal he carries around. However, uh, every Every time the name of the character of this little, little stuffed animal is said, they bleep it out. And because the object that he's holding is a copyrighted piece of Disney merchandise. So he believes oh. himself to be Captain EO, the Michael Jackson character from that like short-lived uh, film experience they used to do at Disneyland. And the little stuffed animal is his alien sidekick that is like in that film. Oh, it's a copyright issue. Okay, I, I didn't think I that had they a gave feeling a that's what it was because they blur out the stuffed animal's face too. Yes, that was amazing. I want to do. I want to make a movie just so I can blur out a stuffed animal. You would face never or... think to do that making a film. Like you would never like imagine just like blatantly using copyrighted materials and instead of like a, you know, trying to do it through parody law or like some nonsense, you like literally just bleep and blur it out. <laughs> yep. The Japanese yep. like it's sensibility so... to like mosaic shit is like the best thing in the fucking world. <laughs> like I oh, love it's it. So, it's so pervy and weird. Like the mosaics, like in their porn too. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. It makes me wonder if people get start to get turned on by mosaics after that. It's like, hmm, wonder what's going on. It's like a good query. Like, when I see different when I see different colored titles or uh, tiles. Like yeah, the Japanese and me just yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, but it's, I mean, it's such a, I mean, even the scene in the, with the porn, when that guy who, who plays the mustache man in Cutie Honey, when he's like, he's got this weird tick where he's spitting, he's like got Tourette's or something. And uh, he's like, oh yeah, I just want to watch a, I just going to want to go rent a movie with you. And we know where this is going, right? Like we know where this is going. I don't feel like it was played to be like, tense or i mean you pretty once he gets there you're like yeah of course right she's gonna have to pick out a porno movie with this guy and you know drops her hand into his pocket and rubs one out really quick gets it done fast um i thought that the uh just the love hotel itself was um the most disturbing part of the whole movie like when in the documentary when they're filming there there's a great line where they're like, the crew didn't even care about all the dildos that were, you know, available <laughs> out in the lobby. Uh, but like, you see everybody losing their energy. And I was like, it's because that building is cursed. It's like sapping the life out of everybody as soon as they get in there. Mm-hmm. Everybody's having a fucking breakdown because it's a, a completely horrific place. Well, this is I could not imagine being in that. This is like a Japanese horror philosophy that's always really resonated with me. Um, that I remember first encountering in middle school, reading a uh, novel adaptation of Juon, like The Grudge, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there is an 
introductory prologue, which is that, like, the way that, like, a ghost or a curse is, like, embodied into the world is, like, if you imagine, if you close a door out of anger enough times, the door knob will be bent, right? Like, you'll break the door. And if enough bad things happen in one place so many times, it accumulates into energy. And then Mm -hmm. that energy Mm -hmm. will always be in that place. And it's, like, you can feel when you've entered somewhere that bad things have happened in. And in that love hotel, even just seeing it on film, you know that some of the the dregs of humanity has been conducted in just horrific detail there. I couldn't believe some of those people were sleeping on those beds. It it skewed me out. (laughs) You know, they have like plastic sheets uh... on them and stuff too. It's like, it's revolting. Oh my God. Just one of the most horrifying things. And so, so casual too. And Anno strikes me uh, as a psychopath, as you've, as you've pointed out, but I also thought he was really cool in the docu. He seems like he's like a, just a really cool, cool psychopath who uh, is kind of intimidating. Uh, he's got fantastic facial hair in this, just like the, one of the best beards I've ever seen. I thought you were uh, going to say ears. His ears are cute too. He's got he's, he's got those big old ears. But uh yeah, no that uh that conception of of how places get cursed, it kind of I mean, I guess in Thailand they have similar shit where it's like whenever anybody dies, they become a ghost. But uh if you feed the ghost enough, over time it becomes a a full place. So it's kind of like that, but just like feeding a place with negative events eventually like turns it into uh that love hotel yeah and people have definitely been murdered in there. oh for sure there have been dead people in there i mean the entirety of tokyo carries that association because um not only was this like one of the most violent countries in the world for most of its entire existence and like brutal suicides and beheadings have just been unfolding on the national soil for like fucking three thousand years but tokyo after it was like completely burned out and like uh, obliterated in world war ii it's now been erected with all of these like 70s, 80s buildings of economic luxury that have not been updated uh, since the early 90s. And every shot of this movie like communicates like the weight of everything that's happened in this country and like the severe gravity of being a Japanese person walking through Shibuya. Like these shots where it just overlays uh, other people on top of the girls, or we spend so much time looking at like the trains pass or like idling over the fake marble walls. Like every single like aesthetic detail just makes this movie feel so heavy with like the gloop of human sexuality. Mm -hmm. the sexuality is really big too i love that it doesn't i love that the movie feels uh pervy uh in a very casual way i don't know nothing about what makes this movie so effective is that nothing seems shoved down your throat in it it just feels like it it kind of is and i like that the the camera's eye itself is uh i don't know you get the impression that the dude just kind of likes upskirts right that's just sort of his thing and it doesn't need any more explanation than that yeah ono has said this before there's a great interview between him and the director of gundam where he believes it's very important um the director of gundam he said that you have to envision your character sexually both from 
um, the character's point of view and your own. Because if you don't sexually have an interest in what your characters are doing, there's going to be a major component of their psyche that's missing on screen. So these constant, like, mm. upshot, like, you know, objectifying glances at them, it communicates, like, the way that the world sees these, like, girls, but it also uh, communicates his, like, unadulterated passion and interest in them simultaneously. And I think that is just beautiful beyond measure it's brave it is do you imagine somebody doing that today only in japan <laughs> only in japan that's right yeah i want to <laughs> i want to talk a little bit more about the the scene in the in the porn store um we talked a little bit about it on sirens but watching this girl do her compensated dating is she like um he this man like stares at her for like a shot that goes on for like two minutes just like looking at every detail of her sticking his face all the way up into the camera spitting sniffing sniffing her scratching his armpits um that is so disgusting it's so fucking yeah. gross yeah it's really disgusting that scene though is uh that whole sequence has moments that are just hilarious too though my favorite part of that is when they're she's looking at all the porn videos and one of them is just called Rape, Rape, Rape. I know. Rape, <laughs> Rape, <laughs> Rape. <laughs> and we get to see the ejaculate on her hand. Yeah. Nasty. Yeah. I think just he nasty. as a director is, like, very interested in, like, seeing the semen. Like, he knows, like, the abject power of seeing it, like, visually realized. Because um, the end of Evangelion, of course, has the classic shot of Shinji's hand covered in cum. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm so fucked up. <laughs> What one of the one of the things that really sells that too is she goes to wash her hand and then she smells her hand. I know, you know what yeah. that shit smells like. Uh -huh. that when she smells it, you're like, fuck, I know what that smells like. Oh. Your hand smells like jizz, girl. I'm so sorry, baby. I'm sorry, I'm baby sorry, girl. girl. <laughs> yeah. You go get you some dawn, you grimy bitch. And um this movie is actually deeply reactionary and very conservative, um, because it does not empower the women at all. It does not say that actually by owning their sexuality and by being fierce, cunty, feminist divas, like, that they can achieve happiness. Because the scene when she's almost raped in the love hotel and is, like, intimidated by that man, um, that cannot be read in any way except that Anno is, like, ripping into the political universe of women and telling them that this is mm -hmm. no way it's going to work. And instead of painting them as, like, victims of um, this horrifying sexual morris, instead he just bravely makes the comment that uh, you got yourself into this and you're lucky it didn't get worse. Yeah. Yeah, and when she's talking to the guy afterwards because the guy who assaults her says, somebody out there loves you and cares about you and look at you, you dumb bitch. And then she goes and talks to another guy and the guy says... That sounds like somebody who cares about you. That sounds like somebody who's just looking out for your best interests. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. And it's really like, what do you what do you argue with that? And it, it's like not a uh, it's sort of giving them agency, actually, as people, as, mm -hmm. you know, complicated humans who can fuck up rather than like a, a kind of over empowerment of any kind yeah i'm kind of i'm kind of tired of the empowerment shit yeah uh, 
I guess unwarranted empowerment. I mean, it's kind of the Charlie XCX like, thing, don't you think? Like, she also, like, realizes the consequences of her actions, like, all over pure romance. Like, she knows that, like, she's at fault for this, you know, like... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I think that, you know, it's making... What is this movie? 95, 96, 98, 98. or whatever? Oh, 98, okay. It's making the very bold 2023 statement, which is like, you know, maybe... uh maybe doing this kind of thing isn't isn't great you know maybe maybe you should feel a little bad about this <laughs> maybe feeling bad about things is good not just in relationship to sex but you know about the way your body looks or about like maybe you didn't do a great job at work when you should have tried to do a better job like maybe you should have a little bit of shame and this isn't like a girl boss you know rah rah go get them like go be a hoe and make money and get that ring. Like he's looking at, Anna's looking at all this stuff with, with contempt. With that, not with not at the girls with contempt, but at that with contempt. Yeah, and it's amazing how much of a balancing act is taking place here because this could easily be cruel and vicious towards these right. girls. And you know he could have easily had her assaulted and like made that the point, but it's way more horrifying that she's let off the hook and then told somebody loves you. You have to take responsibility for your actions and refrain from harming yourself because of your own selfish, you know, feminine interests and listless place in the world. You have to love yourself enough to realize that other people care about you and you have to create your own meaning without putting um, your life at risk for our for nothing. For nothing. For nothing. Yeah. Have a little bit of self-respect. It's beautiful. You know, um, and the, the gay character is so... Powerful. The gay character. Oh, my God. The guy who... Um, she's given a burner phone that she uses for all this compensated dating. And um, she finally returns the phone to him at the end of the movie. Um, and uh, he finds out that he and this uh, boy, uh, who she's been embroiled with their relationship uh, during the course of the movie, they've uh, broken up. There's a dead. Did the cat? The cat lives on. Uh, the cat that was the cat sick. Lives, the cat yeah. lives. But the scene of him like talking about and like accepting like the breakup and saying, "Oh, the, the, this man who told you this sounds like someone who loves you." I cry at that every time I watch it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's that whole thing about it's. It, it speaks to how how sinister the culture of self care that we have is now. It's like so. Just nobody's allowed to tell you that you're a fuck up or that you failed. It's like, that's not somebody who actually gives a shit about you. That's somebody who's Kelby and I are uh, totally on the war path against nice people, specifically nice guys in 2023. Thank God. Yeah. Nice, nice guys are over. They're fucking over, man. Because like we keep butting up against this when we try to talk about writing or art and you know give our opinions about that being in the writing world we always get slapped with uh why would you talk shit about this person like they're so nice why would you say that they're a terrible writer like they're such a nice person you know they've always been nice to me and i'm like because maybe i actually care about this more than you do like i care about writing and i care about the people who do the writing too but somebody's gotta fucking say it like you're not good or what you're doing is not good. And the powers that be will, you know, 
very conveniently always have a product to sell you or a lifestyle to sell you that's based around this completely borderless, boundaryless, uh, id, you know, fucking just running around doing whatever the fuck you want. Like peep somebody in 2023, we got to start putting our foot down and just being like, yo, get your shit together, bro. You have to be knocked down like 100% and like obliterated as a person and realize that your actions have consequences and people care about you and your life has meaning and you have to take responsibility and then walk with your girlfriends through the swampy canals of Tokyo. Yep. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That last shot of them marching together as the the cover plays and it's a... Oh my god, it's just so fucking beautiful. I agree. It's people a people yeah, who are, it's uh, a it's a pretty perfect movie. Sorry, Kelby, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say like people people who are nice to you always want you to stay in your place. Like they don't want mm. you to like they're I mean, it's it's not the opposite isn't true. Like people who just will put you down or break you down could also just want you to stay in your place. But I I can't think of I'm I'm not a nice person and I I can't think of any positive reason to be nice. Mhm. I think uh right now it's more important than ever to be responsible and serious and powerful about your choices in the world. Yeah, disciplined. And um you know, and I think that just to further clarify on the other hand, I do think that people in their day-to-day interactions with each other should be polite i think that it's weird right because it feels like niceness and empathy have become overvalued and just being a polite decent human being to strangers has has gone down in value Mm -hmm. so a lot of uh i'll use libs the uh the much beaten up upon in the sphere lives as an example (laughs) with good reason uh, you know, there'll be people who have all of these ostensibly, uh, you know, empathetic outlooks about how the world should work and how people should be treated. And then, you know, you find out that they, they don't talk to their mothers anymore because like, I don't know, their mom voted for the wrong person mm-hmm. or something like that. It's like, you got your shit all fucked up, dude. That's completely backwards. Like you should like just love your mother and you should you should hate black people you know that's the way (laughs) (laughs) but you see what i mean i do like i'm being silly but like it's it's like uh it's it just seems to me to be like if we cut out the the quote-unquote niceness as a as a shield as a shell as an excuse uh, we get to something that's really real, which is what love and pop does. Like love and pop is, uh, I think it does have a lot of empathy and, but it also isn't interested in coddling its characters either. No. And because it doesn't coddle them, they are allowed to walk on for another day in that canal. Like they're allowed to walk through the fucking like sewer canal, like together, like looking so fierce. And like, you have belief that because, not because they've been treated with empathy, but because they've been treated with seriousness and most of all with love that they're going to be able to move forward in the feminine world successfully and become actual human beings and not permanent school children. I love what you just said about the difference between niceness and 
seriousness slash love. And you said it so well, I don't need to repeat it, but I just wanted to put another point on that. That's, I'm going to, I'm actually writing that. <laughs> that's so sweet. That's, that's but this is, it gave me this. Oh, go ahead. Uh, sorry. It, it gave me this image when you said that of like the, the sort of the nice guy we're railing against is like a, uh, somebody who has a concealed blade that they don't tell you about and the serious direct love like person that you want to to keep you in check to you know be be an example of discipline and everything is like wearing an ak just strapped to their back absolutely (laughs) but but it's like you know it's not just pointing it at your face but it's like yeah, I, I ain't hiding shit. Well, it's because when people are it's... nice to you, it's because they want something from you. You know, yeah. Bingo. they just yeah. they want something from you. You know, if someone is loves you enough to be real with you and tell you that, um, like you can't just be like doing compensated dating like this. <laughs> like you know, if they love you enough, then um, you can become a better person. But um, if they don't, then they're just going to let you be trapped in your own idol pointless reality and you're going to rot and they're going to use you for whatever crap they're looking for if my kid when he becomes a teenager decides that he's a furry and that he's actually a dog and he has a fursona i'm putting him in a fucking camp <laughs> to reverse that <laughs> put him in the love and pop camp <laughs> yeah it's for his own good i'll be like buddy i love you but you're not a wolf bro like i, I gotta stop this right now because uh no son of mine I'm that meme of the dad dragging the kid away. I'm like, no son of mine. But, uh, you know, that kind of attitude, I know, historically has been uh, really oppressive to gay people and other different types of people. So I get that. I get there's that one angle. But it's all balance, right? It's percentages. Too many people think in absolutes. and It's all percentages. And I think where we're at culturally now is that I feel like some parents are just like, man, if I tell my kid that he can't you know, dress up like an octopus and go, you know, fuck some random people in a hotel. Like, am I, am I not cool anymore? Like, am I, am I being (laughs) like my, like my parents were to me when they wouldn't let me go smoke cigarettes? It's like, no, there's a difference between smoking cigarettes or if you're a dude going and fucking a dude and some of the shit that these kids are doing. Well, also like you can't teach someone not to be gay um, but you can absolutely teach someone not to dress like a fucking animal. Yeah. True. True. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, who is it? Who is it? Did is there somebody in the news recently who converted from gayness to straightness? I feel like this might have Oh, been Milo Yiannopoulos, but he's lying. That's what that's who yeah. it is, right? Well, he's he's uh <laughs> he's such a fucking <laughs> That guy's such a fucking tool. Yeah, he man. fucking sucks. Yeah. <laughs> what a loser. I don't I hate thinking about him. I met him once. I asked him on a date actually. He said no. <laughs> what? I think he was already married at the him. time, but he was um at my um university like doing like a like a speech or something and after it ended I went up and said, "Hey, do you want to go for a drink?" <laughs> <laughs> and well, I mean, all the tell tell, tell me about it. this is some insider gay stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, all my gay friends uh, who are married, like, they don't give a fuck about fidelity. Oh, God. Like, that's not a thing. Fidelity's so over. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you were just say uh, you were just saying that in your last uh monologue episode weren't you? i sure was yeah the whole theme of the white lotus um designed by sinister homosexual mike white is to get straight people to start cheating on their wives again <laughs> <laughs> it's not working well, I, on me but i uh, know i'm not gonna tell I, anyone i love like, i love white lotus i don't think so straight good. guys need to worry about non-monogamy but gay men who are trapped in the cycle of like oh it's so boring of like I am a pristine princess, and I could never be so debased as to cheat on my spouse that I love, and we're gonna have a bitch, like, girl, we are gay, like, we have been given the gift of anti-nature, like, we're supposed to be able to do this stuff, and, like, oh, on New Year's, it was so refreshing, I went out with a bunch of my gay friends, and I, all of them had partners, some of them are quite serious, and everyone was macking and smacking on other guys all night, and no one gave a fuck. See, see, I think that's <laughs> I think that's beautiful. I'm happy for you. I'm happy to hear that. It's uh, women are different, bro. They're just built. They're they're built. Different. I wouldn't want to cheat on a woman and either. They might kill you. They might kill you, and also, you know, I've done it before, and you feel really bad when you do it. It's not a it's not a good feeling to do that. Mm-hmm. So, and then you don't want the reverse to happen, you know, you don't want her to cheat on you. Like, it's just, I don't know, you know, different dynamics, but that's always struck me as one of the perks you guys have is that nobody gives a shit. I'll talk to some of my gay friends and they'll be like, yeah, you know, went to Peru, hopped on the grinder there and was just fucking banging Peruvian dudes all, all week. And it was great. I'm like, you know what? Happy for you, bro. Work. (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about cutie honey um from 2004 this is the um this and kari kano are the two least seen pieces of ano media and i hope it stays that way i had reservations about talking about it because i want to keep it my secret but i am a charitable uh loving person so i will give you the gift of cutie honey on the um one note that if any of you misread or abuse my sweet cutie honey i will ruin your life like i will cancel you (laughs) um this is quite literally one of the best films i've ever seen it's um this is proof that ano hideaki is a fucking nerd um it is a tokusatsu film and tokusatsu is the costumed um Power Rangers, Godzilla, special effects media. So the idea is that it's people in wigs and fierce little costumes fighting other people in costumes, doing like martial arts and flips. There are really ugly special effects and horrible CGI, and it follows the adventure of a cutie honey as played by the beautiful Sato Eriko. And uh, she's so hot in this movie. Her... Um, it's her being a fierce little bitch, and she is a superhero who, um, by declaring Honey Flash and pressing a button on her necklace, can (laughs) turn into the appearance of anyone, a skill she almost never uses. (laughs) Uh, It follows uh, her journey to defeat a, um, super-powered a uh, frightening drag queen who is hundreds and hundreds of years old, uh, Sister Jill. Uh, she teams up who's with... Who's also a tree. Yeah, who's also a tree. A tree and a tranny at the same time. And mm. <laughs> a tree A tree. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's her and a journalist and like and this uh this like tensed fisted angry cop uh who become best friends learn to love each other and then through the magic of being a bimbo superhero save the world and embrace love forever (laughs) so what did you think of this monstrosity of a film i loved this movie so much and i loved it even more that like it uh it it's such an off-brand thing to be like if you were to look at this movie and then me be like yeah this movie like goes hard i fuck with it it it, on on the surface probably seems shocking and i just unironically fucking love this movie it was amazing oh yeah Um, yeah it's 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 great it's i loved all the blending of anime too i thought those effects looked so cool when she goes to do a move and it becomes semi animated uh i loved all the the quote again bad special effects you know i'd mentioned earlier that this reminded me a lot of uh zebra man uh, one of Miike's uh uh well i guess mid-career films at this point but in 2004 you got to this point where uh special effects really peaked and i am a big fan of special effects that look like special effects that uh require a little bit from the like a leap of faith from the viewer to sort of accept what's going on or to just like have fun with them as pieces of art stuff that isn't supposed to blend into the rest of the movie Mm -hmm. you know that's very artificial uh i love that hated all the all the the rice balls that she was eating couldn't stand (laughs) that shit uh it was absolutely like like so horrific to me watching her eat all those rice balls but um yeah you know who else was really hot was the uh the other chick in the movie the one with the glasses she is hot you know, the kind of like the the daiki that's the that's the one that i was like hmm. hmm i wonder what she looks like naked you know like that that kind of thing but uh it's definitely got uh as soon as the movie starts and you know you have uh, cutie honey fighting this gold just like i was like this is the gayest shit i've ever seen but i'm <laughs> totally into it uh it was a great it was really cool there was a lot of really cool fun uh gags in it you know i like when the guy who has the paint on his face the black and white paint uh when he does his spin move at her where he becomes this kind of whirling dervish of knives and she blocks him so his body starts spinning instead of the like there's a lot of fun physical comedy in this too and lots of butt shots and upskirts and it's it's a lot of fun. This it's really cool. Is the most perverted uh, piece of auto media by a landslide, and it all is down to Sato Eriko as Cutie Honey, who fully um, melts into this character. She is um, anti-real, um, quite literally. She is actually like a like she's like a reassembled girl because uh, she basically was like nearly killed or like was killed in a car crash. Uh, then her uh, father using uh, the I invention, I being a uh, a pun on the Japanese word for love, of course, uh, reassembles her into cutie honey with a malleable body. And her personality is nothing but being uh, bubbly and delightful. Um, she 
The movie starts with her in a bathtub, and she goes, I just love a bubble bath. Uh, and then <laughs> she's uh, called on her cutie, funny, cutie honey phone <laughs> to be told that her uncle has been kidnapped. And so she's too tired to turn into cutie honey. So she has to sprint, uh, wearing nothing but newspapers, uh, to a store uh, in which she buys a hundred onigiri rice balls and then eats them all, uh, transforms into cutie honey and saves the day. And it is just so, it sounds retarded, but there is something really transcendental about this vision of cutie honey, who is like the perfect person to me. Like she's so aspirational. Is there a purity to the, to like, because at this point I've seen so many Japanese movies that maybe it even outnumbers American movies mm-hmm. or is threateningly close. Uh, and it, and I, my opinion hasn't changed. There's just so much better at it. And is it, what is it? Is it emotion? Is it, because I mean, Americans try to do this twee shit and this like uh overly bubbly anti-real stuff but i just am am i carrying extra baggage with western shit do i just like why does the japanese shit just feel so pure and convincing they're a superior race (laughs) boom there it is i guess (laughs) yeah You're right, though. <laughs> no, I think it, solved. It. I think it's because you know the society is so regimented um, between like keeping your inner and your your inner face and your public face separate, and so when you like toil with sexuality and bring it to the present, it's in your public face, and it's just kind of culturally agreed upon that it is okay for there to be a sequence in which cutie honey falls off a building and then her ass smashes into a windshield and then it breaks the windshield and that's okay because everyone says it is and no one has to be feel guilty about it (laughs) (laughs) um so unfiltered uh lack of inhibition yeah, it's like it's an agreed upon fact that humans have this like kind of scuzzy, nasty like inclination towards the uncomfortable sexuality that drives our species forward. And instead of like, you know, trying to do something about American like Christian society is just a little bit too like broiled with social guilt to ever convincingly liberate sexuality but because japan is the opposite and it's like so like um so pagan and uh sexuality is like so unregimented by like that social order it's fine that that this can happen (laughs) you could never make cutie honey in america it's impossible no god no no right Right. If, even in the to... hands of like an edge lord or something, it'd be too. Per- it'd be the wrong kind of pervy because this is a pure. Pervy. It's wholesome. Yeah, it's wholesome. I'd almost call this a kids' movie. I think it like literally was marketed as a family film. That makes sense to me. Yeah, I don't. I mean, because I don't see anything wrong with what's going on. But I think that what Kelby brought up about that it's reflected in their just 
we're getting into deep, you know, why we chose, you know, Japanese movies for agitator in the first mm-hmm. place. And that, that approach in this case to sex in cutie honey, you can find that in almost every movie that we've talked about. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we've seen a movie. Well, besides Tetsuo three, which is hot garbage, everything else <laughs> is like really, really good. And the reason why is because that same principle though is applied, where it's kind of following, it's following the muse in a certain way. And it's again, it's this weird opposite thing because when you think culturally of Americans versus Japanese people, you think of Americans more uh, as sloppy, yeah, and uh, completely undisciplined, unable to to focus, and the Japanese are the opposite: disciplined, not sloppy. Uh, you know, highly able to focus. And then in our, but in our art, Americans come across as much more strict about what a movie is even supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Like you'll see this all the time in stupid YouTube videos about like, well, why did they use uh, this frame for the shot when they did blah, 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 or plot holes, Ugh. you know, like this is a plot hole. And then it seems that Japanese people are simultaneously more disciplined and focused. And yet their art is much looser mm-hmm. in a way. Like you get the feeling when you watch, broadly speaking a japanese movie that it it could go anywhere and say anything at any time and that's exciting uh and i wonder what's going on with that well yeah i think following the muse is a a really right instinct here because um lately and i'm going to call this user out by name because i'm still pissed off about this and it's been about a month but vil posted that he said that oh Misato gives Shinji the cross in Evangelion, and you still don't think that this Christianity is deliberate? You want to talk about Ultraman? What the fuck is Ultraman? And I wanted to die. Like, I literally, like, wanted Mm. to die more than ever reading that, because Ano's career is entirely about him being a fucking nerd who is, like, pursuing his interests um, in the most excruciating detail. And Cutie Honey is perfect, like... It's a perfect example of this. Um, if he wasn't such a freak who was, like, obsessed with, like, children's superhero programming, like Ultraman in, like, the 70s, we would have never gotten Ava, we would have never gotten Love and Pop, and we would have never gotten Cutie Honey. It's because he loves it so unambiguously um, and has his own vision for it, and he pursues it um, by being a fucking Nazi on set, bullying everyone into his weird way of making things. And because <laughs> he does that, we get this glistening image of the coolest woman in the world cutie honey like literally a goddess (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i i like that so basically the whole idea is that the japanese in this sense that we're talking about actually just love the art more and because of that are applying these nazi-like tendencies towards seeing their vision fully realized i guess americans did that at a certain point too there's stories of martin scorsese flipping tables Mm -hmm. yeah it's always stories of the good ones doing it right yeah yeah (laughs) and never like some hack losing his shit (laughs) well there's also there's also miike too miike seems to have a much looser approach to this there's the classic 
uh, reading his diary on the set of Ichi the Killer, uh, Sukamoto was shooting Tetsuo 2 mm-hmm. at the same no, time. Bullet Ballet. Oh, sorry. You're right. Bullet Ballet. And uh, Miike is writing about how Sukamoto is like this. Totally. Sukamoto is maybe like the er uh, Nazi director, right? Who like everybody, a lot like Ano, everybody hates him after they work with him until it's retrospectively okay. The, the wounds have healed. Um, but Mike goes on set and he's uh, he's he films eight scenes in this location in one day, and Sukamoto is still working on one shot. And Mike goes like, "This is why I will never defeat him because he's like <laughs> such a perfectionist. He's so he's so into it. So I mean, you know, I guess it doesn't necessarily, I guess, translate into always being because uh, you know, obviously, Itchy's one of my favorite. Well, Bullet Ballet is one of my favorite movies too. So." Bro, I guess it takes all kinds. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Did I tell you that um, I met one of the directors of photography for Tetsuo? He has a bar that's three blocks away from my house. Oh, let's go. And he directed his own movies. He did like 964 Pinocchio and like Rubber's Lover. Hell yeah. Holy shit. We've done that. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rubber's Lover and and shit like that. Good uh, good old Fukui-san. Yeah, he's just three blocks uh, down from me. I go to his bar like every week or so. He's a sweetheart. Yeah, Oh, we did Pinocchio yeah. tell him with. We said, uh, what's up? He's a friend of the show. Yeah, we did that with. Uh, tell him about the pocket. We did it with. Uh, uh, he probably doesn't speak English, but uh, we did it with uh, Barrett. <laughs> Barrett came on to talk about nine six four. Yeah, Pinocchio. I talked a little bit with, about Barrett with it too. So I, me- I mentioned actually that I have friends who are interested in uh, in his stuff, and he's always like very surprised. And the first thing he asked me was like, "How did you watch it?" And I was like, "On the internet." And he's like, "Don't worry, there'll be a Blu-ray next year. You better buy it." <laughs> um that's so fucking bad i want to read that's the lyrics um the translated lyrics of the cutie honey theme song um the there's a nice musical quality to this movie (laughs) um because koda kumi who is uh kuchan to her fans is um one of the great early 2000s japanese pop divas and she um was the only one who was ever like a slut like she was the only one being like i'm hunty like look at my boobs like i'm horny and like everyone else was like doing very serious like singer songwriting stuff and so she was enlisted to do i think four songs for this movie and i'm going to read um the entire translated lyrics of uh her song cutie honey she's a popular girl these days a girl with a small butt turn this way honey because somehow well because Cause, please, please don't hurt me. My heart is fluttering. No, no, no. Don't look at me. Honey flashed. <laughs> She's a popular girl these days. A girl with massive breasts. Turn this way, honey. Cause somehow, well, cuz, cuz. Please, please don't get near me. My nose is twitching. No, no, don't look at me. Honey flash. She's a popular girl these days. A girl with kitten skin. <laughs> Turn this way, <laughs> Please, please, don't chase after me. My eyes are weeping. No, 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 don't gaze at me. Honey flash. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> wow, brilliant. I, that was it's... Zach Lindley Chichi reading the lyrics to... Cutie honey. Cutie <laughs> honey. The conflict of this movie um, is literally about this uh, 
this person who eats the souls of young women, um, Sister Jill, uh, she gathers up women into this um, huge concentration camp that's entirely pink. Uh, she drains them of their life force and they giggle when they die. Um, she is an enormous tree and um, she has a uh, AGP lesbian affection for cutie honey and aims to suck her into her tree essence and eat her youth and become soul sisters with her forever what did you make of this freakazoid conflict at the center of the movie i loved the high stakes ridiculousness of it like and even the level of uh you you are just along for the ride with everything one because it's fun as hell and just feels so pure and unadulterated and but also because everything is consistently anti-real it's like not only are these chicks getting abducted and drained of their life source there's like 20,000 of them missing there's like a whole <laughs> legion of kidnapped bitches in, in Japan <laughs> And when yeah. they get liberated, um, basically it's revealed that Sister Jill's um, fortress was beneath Tokyo Tower. It erupts into the sky into a huge uh, golden twisted staircase. And all of the liberated concentration camp girls are just like sprinting down the side. <laughs> That's one of my favorite parts of the movie is when this tower comes out like a drill and lifts... Uh... Uh, Tokyo Tower in the air, and one of the bystanders says, uh, "Oh no, our beautiful Tokyo Tower!" That was like <laughs> such good dialogue. That was so good. Our beautiful Tokyo Tower. But no, I liked uh, I liked the relationship between Sister Jill and her butler, uh, who plays the perv. Right? He's the he's the jerk off guy. That's correct. Looking completely and, uh, different. Yeah, looking completely different, but I lo- this is what I'm talking Okay, so this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. You have this movie, very cartoony, very bubbly, um, fun, funny, and then when Sister Jill is defeated and turns back into a tree, this butler says, <laughs> well, I guess I will stay with her for eternity, and rain starts to fall inside of the tower, and it's this very somber moment, and uh, it's funny. But it wouldn't be funny if it wasn't taken a little bit seriously in that moment. Yeah. You know, like there's like, like nobody farts, right? Like he's not there like, I'll be with her forever. <laughs> like it's just, it's just the thing. And uh, I find it difficult to believe that that it's tonal shifts, right? Like Kelby and I talk about this a lot. Like there, there's no tonal shifts in Western movies especially not the kind that you can find in Japanese movies where you get like eight movies in one and each one's taken just as seriously as the one before. Mm. Beautifully said. Yeah. I, I felt actually there's a drastic tonal shifts allow for a, um, they evoke emotions from you as the viewer better than if they were conveying Uh, a logical like transition between emotions and the characters yeah it's like new metal like you know like you really can feel the anger coming out of some dumb limp biscuit track 
and relate to that heavier than like a uh I don't I don't know some quote unquote like technically perfectly written like somber ballad or whatever mm-hmm. like it just it forces that emotion out of you by being so abrasive I completely agree and I think that the absurdist abstract imagery of this like fucking like space tree <laughs> beneath Tokyo Tower and mm-hmm. the conflict between Cutie Honey and Sister Jill like this confrontation is a huge tonal shift in the movie when uh Cutie decides to surrender her soul um to save the people of Earth and it's very Evangelion and strange and it takes itself completely seriously as she like begins to dissolve into this purple sea and sister jill turns into the tree of life um it's not funny it's not like a joke and because it takes itself so seriously after like all of these like dumb hijinks of like them getting drunk and uh fighting people in elevators and ever the the onigiri like um it makes it all the more convincing and uh beautiful and enforces that in fact uh cutie honey's love for the world is an important value to carry into your own life oh yeah Yeah. you know what that reminds me of one of my favorite scenes was in that elevator talk about a tonal shift it gets dark yeah really quick that's my favorite Uh, scene of the movie that is stuck in my burning she's burning the bad guy to death and you get these obscene close-ups of this fanged what is it some kind of s&m jester type get up <laughs> yeah like and, a gimp uh, jester <laughs> yeah like a gimp jester but she's basically like she grabs kitty gets really hot when she gets mad and so she grabs this gimp chick and starts boiling her alive and she says how do you like feeling pain and i was like god damn. it's twisted and like <laughs> yeah at first she goes oh, I like pain. And then she's like, oh, I don't really care for heat. And then all of a sudden, uh, when Cutie Honey's eye machine starts breaking down because it's uh, she's being animated by hate instead of love, she starts overheating. And so mm-hmm. we watch like, her like scream in like, real It goes peril. on for like five minutes. It's a, literally like... a three-minute scene of her just getting fucking burnt to death. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really yeah it's something else and then uh, I really liked the kind of Scarlet Woman I liked her silly laugh that she did all the time um, I also thought she was kind of hot I'm not gonna lie she speaks like the, a 1920s like geisha basically <laughs> it's like her like oh, is that what her it is? speaking okay. style I thought it was very funny she said oh yeah. Tokyo ga gozaimasu. I was like okay girl work <laughs> see uh, this is why i gotta keep up my studies so that i can actually uh i can be there with you and be like ah, oh, I, get, I get the joke oh that's so funny I'm <laughs> yeah <laughs> where i'm at now i'm like okay yeah that's cool but yeah no her um another really fun detail in cutie honey uh these little humanizing moments are fun like when you find out that chick's glasses are fake <gasps> that's like, perfect uh, yeah, Cutie Honey goes to put it on. She's like, "Wait a minute, these aren't real glasses." And she's like, "Well, oh, give those back." Like, I'm, I'm serious. I'm a serious uh, police officer. Yeah, who just like uh, is always threatening to shoot people, and <laughs> 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 and in her apartment, all of her plants are dead. 
And then uh, Cutie Honey brings them back to life with the power of love, but she's mad about it. She's like, I like them better when they're dead. <laughs> well, she, like she's them. like, uh, you know, no, you can't cheat in life. You can't just snap your fingers, wiggle your nose, and be like, everything's all good. You have to do it yourself. And Cutie Honey helps her find that balance where she's like, okay, I'll stop cheating for myself. But I'll help my friends by any means. <laughs> I just really wish that I could have seen them eat each other's pussies. That would have been so tough. It was going that way. It was going. That I was way. gonna say, did you did you pick up on like the severe lesbian overtones? Of oh, this? dog. Oh, yeah. Yeah. really? That kind of flew yeah. over my head. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. My boyfriend was like, "Is this a lesbian movie?" When we were watching it together, I was like, "No," but absolutely 100 percent, yes yeah yeah, yeah 100%. this this movie is uh this movie is every thing that you could uh that you could want it to be do you want snm so, yeah, court jesters I... you got it do you want them burnt alive sure do you want a girl who gets so hot that she boils coffee in her hand that's there uh do you want transgender mm-hmm. uh eternal life beings that turn into the jewish tree of life when they try to merge <laughs> with a superpowered girl with pink hair that's there <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then also like a lot of cool upskirt and a really fun drinking scene where they drink like a 500 beers and just have a blast it seemed like they were and they sing karaoke and they they sing real karaoke songs not written for the movie they sing real karaoke classics and um the ecstasy of them getting all of their uh emotions about this ridiculous uh, plot out as they uh, just burst through latching onto one another singing karaoke is the real joy of the art form so what so do you i don't know if you like like the joel schumacher batmans i was thinking about those the 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 west sort of not answer but uh version of this right so do you like those movies and if not what works about this but doesn't work about? i haven't revisited them uh, since i was a child i remember liking them when i was little and um i thought that someone turned me on in one of those movies. I think it was George Clooney with the nipple suit was like pretty hot for me as a child. Um, Mm -hmm. I would like to revisit them. I think if I was to make a preemptive judgment, I would say that they lack the philosophical tone that Anno bludgeons you with in the last 15 minutes of this movie that kind of cements Mm -hmm. everything is like really meaningful and not just like, you know, perverse uh superhero child nonsense you know um mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. maybe there is a an element of philosophy in those schumacher movies that i just haven't picked up on like if the super mario brothers at the end it turned out that mario was christ yeah you know and that uh koopa was like judas that's literally what would, cutie honey is the movie. <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> If the little, uh, if the Goomba, the small head Goomba things are, you know, Roman centurions or whatever. And then, uh, <laughs> and then Mario melds with Koopa and then an explosion happens and there's a baby in a manger. End of the movie. Yeah. And that would Best slay. Best movie ever. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that would slap so yeah, hard. Exactly. 
<laughs> so, okay, we've gone through um, the most severe feminine archetypes between Charlie XCX, Stinky Pussy, um, the tragedy of listless girls in love and pop, and then um, the fully formed object of male lust who just embraces the harms of society and becomes the most uh, beautiful, perfect woman on earth. Um, I feel like this is a, a important arc of femininity that means something. So... As you know, on season three of I'm So Popular, I'm re-philosophizing the universe. So uh, from these three great tomes of female art, what should I carry into the new world? I know it's a big question. Well, I think that... So from these three works of art, what should you carry into the new world? Yes, exactly. Well, I think the... I think you said it in your question, which is that it's a varied experience, that there's many different aspects to people, even women. (laughs) And (laughs) I think that, I think that by, uh, you know, approaching women in this case, femininity from a, multiple angles and accepting them the way that Anno sort of accepts his characters uh not without judgment but a, a kind of acceptance or curiosity i think that's something you could take with you mm. right just the, the multi the multipolar aspect of the whole thing yeah a self-actualization through an openness to varied experience not just openness but an embracing and maybe even a a forcing of open experience Mm. with a knowledge of consequence i think that's perfectly said um because all of these women um, are actualized. Like, Charlie is 100% a fully realized uh, person who, you know, she runs against the archetypes of the pop form or whatever, and despite the, you know, uncomfortable quality of a lot of her music, like, she's so invested in what she's making and is so fully formed and also aware of the consequences that she uh, becomes a beautiful object. And it takes the whole runtime of love and pop for Hiromi to become a a person, but it feels uh, very cathartic when she does. And of course, uh, Cutie Honey is the is God and is the most perfect person in the world (laughs) for being. um... I was thinking about this a lot towards the like a in the scenes when you see her just at her day job, like being an office lady, like being like subject to like the harsh, like horrors of um, Japanese work culture. She never complains about it or is like a bitch. Like she just fully like takes the brunt of it. And despite all that has time to be cutie honey. <laughs> Bro, that's us. That's us. Exactly. It's like, I hate, when people bring up the thing they pretend they want to be something like they want to make some kind of art or whatever they want to be this or that or make this happen and it's like but ah where do y'all find the time it's like bro stop pretending like there ain't time like you do what you gotta do and you do the thing that you love and you just quit being a bitch about it